0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show
0: at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
2: Everybody, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Happy Thursday. Is it Thursday? What is happening to my life? It's just flying by. Anyway, got a great show for you today. We will uh, we'll be touching them all. Everything, I'm sure, from uh, what's going on in the dark White House. That's the headline on CNN. Inside the chaotically dark White House. Also, uh, news just out. Uh, breaking news, actually. Um, former Fox News boss Roger Ailes has passed away. Um, uh, it's kind of a surprise, right? He's been in the news a lot lately, but... We'll, uh, I'm sure, do a little review of that. Plus, a lot of uh, discussion today, we're going to be getting into advertising. And you really can't go anywhere. In fact, yesterday I saw a school bus with advertising all over it. Really?
3: Yeah. It's how they're paying for it, the bus.
2: It, wow. I mean, In a way, I thought, well, that's smart. You know, get people to pay to put banners on a school bus. But then I'm thinking... Okay, so now we're every kid that gets on those buses are just idling out in front of the schools. Right. So what
4: kind of advertising are they going to be showing? Are they going to be talking? Air, air fresheners. Yeah. You know what they ought to do? <laughs> Fruity Pebbles. So. They ought to offer Wi-Fi on that bus, and parents are going to sign up for that That's because their kids idea. will insist on it.
2: That's a great idea. You know what? Really, they, they could have Wi-Fi offers. But then everything else that comes on the internet, ad creep, we're going to be talking about it. Apparently, it's even in some cities, they're even putting ads on the lifeguards' uniforms. Mm-hmm. So not only do you get like the little white well, cross, but you get the...
3: Something to watch for. It's uh, ongoing debate constantly in sports. In the rest of the world, you see like uh, Manchester United... They don't even have their name on there. It's just, yeah. It says like United Arab, or it, said, it was Emirates Airlines. That yeah. was, they had that for years and they've changed several Interesting. times. Interesting. And so they're, they're speculating like in the US, like you'll have patches of your sponsor just on your uniform somewhere. I mean, they kind of have it now where you have like a Nike swoosh or yeah, yeah. Adidas swoosh. Well, or something. it used to
2: be the team was the brand.
3: Yeah. Now they're like, well, that's ad, that's ad space because yeah. the player's constantly on TV. You can put that ad right on their, their shoulder, or their back, whatever.
2: Interesting. But again, it's just
3: more creeping, more ads into your well, in front and, of your okay, eyes. Okay, I mean,
2: it makes sense, kind of in corporate America. But is, should our government then be putting ads all over the courthouse? They this either do court that, brought to you by Nutra Systems. You do
3: that or raise taxes?
2: Right. What well, do do? or just break even and spend your money wiser.
3: No, that would be that would be you know fiscally responsible, and right. that's, that's I mean, it's right. a lot of weird opportunities. you could just sell advertising space.
2: What's happening to us? We need to sell more advertising space. D Diddy uh, Diddy Dental, I mean, yeah, that's one of our great sponsors.
4: But I don't know that they've bought more ads. I've only heard one ad play. So, well, it was like a thirty-six week run. Oh, okay, yeah. He bought in bulk. Yeah, he did. So, hmm. we'll be getting into all that
2: excitement today. Plus, you know, just uh, there's also a new there's a new investigator in town. One more investigator to investigate President oh, yeah, yeah. Trump. I mean, when when three other investigations aren't working, or two, I think, aren't working, what do you do? You call in a third. Actually, there were three. Now four. He's going to take over the FBI investigation. I think
3: there's two in the Senate, or three. And then the FBI. And then the FBI. Then the House has a couple. <laughs> yeah. And now the, the Department of Justice has theirs.
2: I heard um, the Treasury wants in. okay. And I think even the Ag Department is looking to really? throw some.
3: There's a soybean <laughs> issue they need to clear up there. Okay. Yeah,
2: I don't know. We'll get to all that excitement. But let's first go to the headlines, find out what's going on nationally that you need to be worried about. Stick with us.
3: So as this has uh, just come down in the re- uh, last few minutes, the founder of Fox News, Roger Ailes, dies at age 77. Multiple media reports. He uh, doesn't say what he was uh, suffering from, other hmm. he was 77. So could be any number of things.
2: That's not suffering.
3: Eh, he could be. He was a TV producer, Republican political consultant, and of course has recently resigned because of the sexual harassment allegations of Fox News.
2: He's a big okay, whatever you think of him, and he sounds like he's got a lot of issues, but he created an an enterprise that's unbelievable. And right. and also helped presidents along the way too, didn't he? He yep. worked with like Reagan, I thought, and and others at getting him elected, so I mean, he's been an iconic
3: So he passed figure. away. Uh, news out this morning. Other news, the New York Times reports Americans had $12.7 trillion in household debt during the first quarter of 2017, a record high beating out the previous peak, which came immediately before the financial crisis. The new record was announced Wednesday by the Federal Reserve of New York. It, while it means many Americans have rebuilt their credit since the recession and are feeling optimistic enough to take out loans, the record also comes with risk. The debt held by American households could keep them from buying houses and other large purchases that spur economic growth and possibly trigger another round of defaults, as happened in 2008. The record debt is not a marker we should be super excited to get back to, says the executive director of a, uh, of a think tank that they hmm. uh, interviewed here. So, just the idea that theres it's different kinds of debt. There are better employment levels now. More loans are held by older, typically wealthier Americans. And uh, current household debt makes up less of the economy than it did in two thousand eight. So it's a different level of debt. It's a different debt, kind of debt. But it is more than we've had in recent years. So something to keep. Seven an eye how what what trillion? Seven? Twelve point seven trillion. Twelve point seven
2: trillion. So I'll just let everyone know. Yeah. Only about seven hundred million of that's mine.
3: Okay, great. Thanks. You're carrying the lion's share of that.
2: Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, home shopping network.
3: Officials from two leading auto safety organizations are calling for the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, the federal agency tasked with investigating potential defects, to investigate a series of fires in parked BMWs. ABC News aired a report last week where they uncovered 43 cars that caught fire, even though their owners reported they were parked and locked and turned off. Really? Just caught fire. There's some, some issue with the car, and BMW... After initially saying they were unaware of any such incidents, BMW came back and went, Yeah, we know. We're investigating. Which is always the best thing. Lie first, then have some sort of explanation later. Yeah. They're just watching the news.
2: Huh.
3: Huh. Interesting, huh? too bad. Another nail hammered into the coffin of clickbait on Wednesday when Facebook announced it will be tweaking its news feed once again to reduce the reach of made-you-look type stories. The change, which comes in the heels of similar tweak made by Facebook last year, is aimed at penalizing inauthentic stories that deliberately omit important information. Hmm. The latest change penalizes two signals, exaggeration and omission, to serve up stories that users find more satisfying. Facebook engineers uh, explained in a blog post, headlines that withhold information intentionally leave out crucial details or mislead people, forcing them to click to find out the answer for example when she looked under her couch cushions and saw this dot dot dot
5: oh
2: boy so
3: basically everything from the daily mail
2: well and you know it sounds like another another blow to the white house
3: well could be who knows they
2: they tend to leave things out a lot of couch a lot of hyperbole
3: headlines that exaggerate the details of the story with sensational language tend to make the story seem like a bigger deal than actually is for example wow ginger tea is the secret to everlasting youth you got to see this you can write these all day. You've got to
2: see this. Yeah. You so, will
4: not believe what I
2: found in my hope, back pocket.
3: Apparently, you'll see less of that. We'll see what yeah.
4: happens. Yeah. What about I'll the think. ones that has a, you know, has like a picture of The Rock and says, We lost him too soon. Hmm. Mm. Then you click on it. It's like, Wait, he's not maybe dead. Maybe if, if
2: Facebook's not going to do it, maybe to get the ratings up, we could do more clickbaiting on the show. We could do that. Like, you won't believe what uh, happens to the next guest that comes on?
3: That'll be your constant tease. You can't believe. That's great. It's a clickbait tease. This
4: guest was escorted by the security <gasps> out he, of the building. May he rest in peace. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so finally, scientists already knew that the uh, Triceratops rex had a ferocious bite. Mm. But a new study in uh, scientific reports spells out in detail just how fearsome it was. In terms of raw numbers, they measured the bite force at nearly eight Thousand pounds with the tip of the teeth exerting pressure around 431,000 pounds per square inch. Wow. So that that's more than double the bite force of the living champion, which is a crocodile.
6: Right? Really?
3: Yeah. They, the feet uh, allows the T-Rex to pulverize bones. The better to get at the marrow inside because apparently that's tasty. Oh, for sure. Here's how. So other websites have tried to cover this by giving you some sort of idea of how to kind of wrap your mind around that much pressure. It says that's like sitting three small cars on top of the jaws of a T-Rex. It's basically what's pushing down. So the force of three cars on top of each other.
2: What kind of cars?
3: Like, you know. BMWs A mid-sized sort of small. Comp- okay. You know, okay. Um, let's see here. Uh, da, 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 and then, uh, that was from a guy there. It says and Remember the scene in Jurassic Park where a T-Rex chomps on the Ford Explorer? Yes. They're, they're saying that that isn't just... Apparently that's not very that's not hyperbole. That's they just real. didn't that for the movie. That that's how it would work. Yeah. He just reached down, destroy the Ford Explorer, and move on. Wow. No question about that guy they, they ate out of the outhouse. That was a different scene.
2: That's a different scene.
3: Here's sound from the study. Wow. My but, my question yeah. is. All we have is bones. Right.
2: How do you know? Well, I think you know because you see the jaws of a T-Rex. Okay. And you're like – and they think, okay, so the tendons would have gone here. The tendon would have hooked into this bone structure so it would have been this large. Mm-hmm. And this large of a tendon could create this large of a whatever. So that's how – they just reverse engineered it. Plus, they've got video. Of from
3: Jurassic Park?
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they did the Jurassic Park study. <laughs> We all know that the jaws are are the strength of the T Rex, but if you're going to fight a T Rex, you go for the arms.
3: Right. You try to get them into like a punching fight. Well, you once can't do you it. just
2: twist that arm behind the back of a T Rex, you've right. got him. Which
3: doesn't take much because no. they're so small. Yeah.
2: The, I mean, it's it seems like
4: an easy fight, quite honestly.
3: Yeah. Just stay, stay away, away from, from the jaws. Yeah. Or twist just the
4: wrist. Put the lawyer in front of you. Oh, that's right. Yeah.
2: Just throw some person. It doesn't have to be a lawyer. Could be other professions. But they like the taste of lawyers best. Yeah. Do they? Yeah. I heard they have an aftertaste. (laughs) Anywho, um, I've been working out. I don't know if you guys have noticed. I've lost 10 pounds. Well, isn't that just from a lack of eating? Like protein? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I know it was bad when Terry just said bone marrow tastes good. And I actually thought, I bet it does.
3: I bet you it does.
2: <laughs> i mean, like, really, that sounds really no, good. No,
3: I've heard of, you know, you get to these sort of high-class restaurants and they go, would you like some bone marrow? I'm like, mm, it, You no. know what?
2: I'm sure it would fit on my liquid diet.
3: Yeah. My wife will watch something on the Food Network and they're messing with bone marrow. What are you guys doing?
2: Uh, so, anywho. Well, you're um, supposed to chew on the bone? The, if you're having a hard time working out, because I uh, – in the middle of my workout, I just seem to get bored and not liking it. But apparently, there's a, there's a, there's a solution. If you want to really power through your workout, research now shows that swearing makes you stronger.
3: Hmm.
2: Hmm? It increases stamina.
3: Interesting. Is, According- Is it swearing or just getting mad?
2: It's – apparently it's swearing. Whether you're cycling up a hill or you need an extra oomph or simply trying to open a tightly closed jar, a good dose of foul language may be what it takes. Now, I don't know if I agree, Hmm. but psychologists from the University of Kiel – Conducted tests with some participants that were asked to swear before either doing an intense session on an exercise bike or squeezing a device that measures grip strength, and in both situations, they found that swearing rudely resulted in significant improvements in performance compared with uttering neutral words.
3: So, is there they're saying rude swearing? Yeah. So, is there another form of swearing? I guess
2: I guess there's like neutral, like swearing not directed at anybody. So, rude swearing. Rude would be something that would offend another, maybe, okay. or directed to another, maybe.
4: Yeah, okay. and what? A, what's a neutral word?
2: Like flip. Tomato. Flip. <laughs> Tomato. But I wonder if, like, some of these little words that we use, like, oh, flippin' heck, I wonder if that no. would push you over
4: the edge of strength. I don't think so. That's like not committing fully.
3: Yeah. You, you have to go all 100% on the curse word.
4: Apparently, earlier research
2: showed that uh, we already know that um, – swearing makes people more tolerant to pain you can handle more pain if you swear really and they're not exactly sure why but it somehow impacts tolerance pain tolerance and your strength it somehow Hmm. brings out a reserve of energy
3: interesting so the secret to success is swearing
4: i don't get it because mama said we shouldn't do it exactly but you know – no, I don't want to go there. Never mind. <laughs> okay, good. good Way to censor Way to censor yourself. Uh,
2: the, apparently, though, the, the downside of the study, they only had 29 people in the sample. Yeah. So that could just – maybe they just had a ship that just came ashore.
3: <laughs> a bunch of sailors. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of sailors, you know. That, that's a problem with a lot of research that's done now. You start looking at the sample and it's like 20 yeah. people.
2: It, I'm like, Come on. For example, on average, it increased grip strength by 2.1 kilograms just simply by cursing.
3: See, we've had people on talking about how grip strength is dropping off across the board.
2: That's exactly right. It's because maybe are, we're swearing less.
3: Maybe there's – yeah. They're just cleaning up their I language. I think it's
2: better that you just – maybe you don't go for more strength. You just go for more character. Really? Yeah. I mean really – do you, want, do you want the day you're dying in a tragic car accident mm. that you're just
4: swearing like a sailor?
3: Yeah. To, might as well get it all out. No. you mean, no? Hey, Instead,
4: okay. let's just show some dignity in. <laughs> Those scientists, right. though, they should have committed to the, to the flipping study, you know? <laughs> tomatoes. Tomato. Yeah.
2: I, I don't think you're going to derive much more strength by saying tomatoes. Well,
4: it's a neutral word. Spinach. Commercial break. Yeah. See, these are all neutral words. Yeah. Not yeah. Totally. Yeah. In fact, that's a great reminder. Let's take a break.
2: When we come back, we will be talking about is there any way to stop ad creep? This constant flow of more and more advertising in stranger and stranger ways to us. We'll be talking with a pro about it. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Do you ever feel like you live in one big commercial? You know, more and more billboards are popping up while your Google on your Google searches and social media accounts are getting flooded with advertisements. Well, joining us now is Mark Bartholomew. He is going to discuss an upcoming book he's about to release called uh, "Ad Creep: The Case Against Modern Marketing." Uh, Mark Bartholomew writes and teaches in the areas of intellectual property and law and technology. Um, with uh, at the University of Buffalo School of Law. Mark, thank you so much for being with us today.
7: Hey, glad to be with you.
2: I love the title ad creep. um, um, Because I, you know, people call me creepy. But ad creep is a really I mean, you hear of scope creep, you hear of different uh, uses of the term creep in the business world. Explain to us what ad creep means, because I think most of us are seeing and and not even knowing the definition.
7: Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I realize there's some irony in me talking about ad creep after coming out of a commercial break. But when I talk <laughs> about ad creep, I'm really talking about kind of new forms of advertising that we're just not used to. Um, so there's creep in the sense of taking over new spaces in a way we might not notice. So think of public spaces like schools, uh, national and state parklands, civic infrastructure. These are areas where advertisers are moving in in a way they haven't in the past. And then the other thing that I think I'm trying to get at with the title and the word ad creep is it's creepy. You know, it, it's, it's not a very term, but there's a there's a there's a disturbing sense to it. And I think that we have to investigate why. What is it about some of these technologies and these spaces that we've historically not allowed advertising into? What is it about that 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 upsets us or doesn't sit right with us?
2: So I play a game um Many don't – I don't find it a game. I find it a community service called SimCity, and I'm building a a town, a simulated town called Townton Abbey. And um, it's – but inside of my little town, there's little billboards, and there's advertising on those billboards where you can click and actually go play a video game that's sponsored by another company. And I think – that's creepy, man. People are now getting into my own little video game, but there's a lot of examples of ad creep. Maybe go through some of the the more interesting ones where where are where where is advertising popping up now?
7: Yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll kind of divide it into a couple categories maybe. So one is what we think of as private spaces, you know, spaces that are controlled by a company like like perhaps your video game. But, you know, we see advertising now on the, the handles of shopping carts, on seatback tray tables, on airplanes. Um, there's been advertisements stamped on the eggs you buy in a supermarket. Hmm. Um, a business sells talking urinal cakes for bar patrons. So kind of just cramming in advertising into all these places that we wouldn't have h- had it before. Um, also kind of these these areas of captive space. So think of screens with advertisements on elevators, doctors' offices, ATMs, gas station fueling areas. So kind of all these areas where maybe we had a couple minutes to breathe, now there's an advertisement in front of us. And then the second area I think of was areas that have historically been public space, you know, not controlled by businesses, but controlled by public civic entities. Uh, So we see a lot of advertising in the schools now, and it's not like schools have been historically ad-free, but now there's more and more advertising in the schools um, uh, with uh, licensing contracts about about being able to put up signage in hallways, and athletic fields, selling off naming rights for school facilities. Uh, there's a business that's been around for a while, Channel One, which broadcasts news in schools, but unless you want to pay for the service, you have to agree to two minutes of commercials while hmm. the kids watch this. So, that's an example of public spaces kind of being overtaken by advertisers. And I guess I'll add a third category, and that's uh, a lot of things are occurring where maybe we don't see the ad, but we're being surveilled as part of market research. So every time we log on to Facebook, every time we conduct a search on Google, we're having data taken about us that's going to be used in some form in some package for an advertisement down the road.
2: Unbelievable. You even mentioned um – on like a lifeguard's swim trunks or whatever a swimsuit, there's advertising as well. I mean this never ends, I guess. I mean, there's no limit to where it could pop up
7: yeah that's that's what I'm con- concerned about, and I love the example of lifeguard swimsuits, but there's other examples of kind of you know what what now seems strange to us but might become normal later on of of uh, a government entities allowing uh, these places to become billboards. So yeah. uh, there was a, a, a few years ago, the city of Indianapolis allowed Kentucky Fried Chicken to put little plastic wing buckets on top of each of their fire hydrants to advertise their new fiery wings. And we see parking meters being sold for advertising, uh, historic bridges being sold for advertising, so uh, national park lands where uh, people are allowed to put up their logos uh, before you start hiking on a trail. Um, so what I'm concerned about is is that at a certain point we'll just get used to it. We'll just get used to it, and we won't fight back anymore. And I have a good example of this phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, uh, advertising before you go to see a movie. You know, I'm old enough I can remember a time where you didn't see ads before a movie. And I'm not talking about trailers for coming attractions or a pitch to go to the snack stand at the movie theater. I'm talking about you know ads for cars or life insurance or whatever, something that's not related to the movie at all. You know, that really started in the 1990s, and people got mad about this. I remember they yelled at the movie screens. Actually, some lawsuits were filed, some legislators proposed bans on the practice. But after a while, kind of the protest faded, and now, you know, nobody screams at the, the movie screens anymore. We just kind of accept it as something we don't like that much, but it's a tax we have to pay when we go to the movies. So after a while this stuff gets normalized you know something that seems creepy now we come to accept mm. well and i mean it's
2: you're already paying to go to the movie right and so it's now it, the ad creep is actually really they're just getting more and more out of you for every sitting
7: yeah ab- absolutely you know the the person who would defend a lot of these practices would say hey i'm i'm you know a lot of times we're providing service or this is a way that we can help make the, meet the bottom line so that's one argument for advertising in schools hey schools don't have a lot of money we need to get money where we can but when you look at studies there's actually not a lot of money being made on this you know sure it puts a little bit of money in school board coffers but not that much um, and so we have to think about what the what the cost is of all this right is it worth exposing our kids you know so one example is ads on the sides of buses for things like uh, pizza parlors and like that. That gives a little bit more money to school districts, and Lord knows school districts don't always have the funds they need. But is it worth it? Is it worth it for my kid to see that every time they get on the bus and as these buses go down the the street? Is it worth Mm. that that cost?
2: Well, when you think about it, they're doing it because it works, right? And so they wouldn't even go to the expense of putting pizza billboards on school buses if it didn't derive some benefit. So and the funny thing is is it's almost like the only people that know the actual final benefit are the ad agencies and the and the companies that are buying the ads. So it must be working if it keeps creeping.
7: Yeah, I think so. I uh, you know, one argument you hear about it, this when I talk to people is, well, advertising doesn't affect me. You know? Yeah. you know lots of smart people say, Oh, well, you know, maybe it affects other people, but it doesn't affect me. But just having this this out there it, it does affect you after a while and, and it often affects you in a in a subconscious manner you don't You don't realize it, but over time that, that it gets lodged in your memory it, it you know when it's a choice between uh, a, a business that you haven't heard of before and one you saw on the side of the school bus or you saw on the elevator or you saw on that that billboard you'll you'll pick the one you used to have a you know a, a familiarity with, even if you know nothing else about about the place and mm. so I think advertisers are getting better and better at figuring out when ads are effective. And that's kind of related to all this commercial surveillance that's part of the ad creep. And once they know things are effective, they're, they're, they're putting money in it. You know, mm. they wouldn't, they, you're, right, you're absolutely right. They wouldn't do it unless they thought it, you know, it helped their bottom line.
2: And I guess that's the fear is that um, with ad creep, we, we're becoming almost desensitized to being advertised everywhere. I mean, eventually no place will be sacred. No place yeah. will be, you know, sacrosanct.
7: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, kind of related to that, you see some of these techniques creeping up in, in other other places. So a lot of what I talk about in the book is surveillance. You know, maybe not that the ads are in front of our faces, but we're, we're always being watched, and, and everything we do, where we travel, what we post online, is just fodder for the next ad. Right? And so this, this surveillance that we're you know, we're kind of getting used to, I think, or or, or starting to accept more and more, which I think is dangerous, that's popping up in other places. So we see churches actually using the same facial recognition, you know, surveillance technologies that advertisers have been using to keep tabs on their parishioners.
2: Oh, wow. Are you attending church regularly? (laughs) (laughs) Right,
7: right, exactly, yeah. Um, And we see it also in uh, toys that are being sold to kids. So I've seen reports of of um, baby monitors that don't just track your baby. I mean, a baby monitor is a good thing, but actually survey when they go to sleep, you know, how they talk as they start talking, keep that data, you know, for future use, perhaps for advertising. Or another example. Yeah, really scary. Another example is um, things that, that, uh, you know, toothbrushes that are built with sensors to track if you're, Kids have actually brushed their teeth, and I can see how that's a good thing. You know, um, you know your kids aren't always reliable when they say they brush their teeth, but uh, but it's it's kind of getting into a, a different world where parents and churches are using these kind of spying technologies. Is this
2: you? There's a you mentioned neuromarketing in your material in your book. Um, talk about that. I mean, because that's a new technology too, right? That's that's scary.
7: Yeah, absolutely. I think this is one of kind of the the newest and, and most interesting of the techniques that marketers are using these days. So the idea behind neuromarketing is really taking scans of consumers' brains to register how they feel about advertising. You know, so advertisers have always wanted to get inside our heads and know how we feel so they can, they can develop uh, more effective ads. And that's a, that was largely done before with focus groups and surveys. So you would orally reports or you'd write down, well, here's what I liked about the ad, here's what I didn't, here's what it made me think of. But the trick with that is it didn't always work. We don't always have great insight into how advertising makes us feel. Sometimes we don't want to admit how advertising makes us feel. And so what more and more of these blue-chip Fortune 500 companies are doing is using – uh, fun, functional Magnetic Resonance Imaging Technology, wow. Brain Scans.
2: fMRIs, who, is crazy. Yeah,
7: yeah, MRIs, exactly, to, to see, you know, to track blood flow in the brain and to see how people react to advertising. And there's multiple examples, you know, some I, I diagnosed in the book and I'm happy to talk more about, where people are asked one thing about ad campaign how'd you, how'd you feel about it? Oh, I didn't like it, you know, I, it, it didn't appeal to me. But then when they ran them under the fMRI machine. Uh, the pleasure centers of the brain lit up, and it turns out they did like it. <laughs> they were so, lying. Yeah, exactly. And so the advertisers, of course, went with what the fMRI study study said. Um, and, and, you know, that's, I think that's, uh, on the one hand, maybe that leads to more effective ads. You can see why the advertisers want it. But I think that's, that's unsettling. That's part of the creep and ad creep for us because – we're not having a dialogue with the with the advertiser anymore. We're not telling him about what we like and we don't like. Instead, it's this involuntary surfacing of mm. what's going on inside our heads.
2: And it's and it's not necessarily transparent. Like we we again, when we walk into a, a store, we're not a Walmart. We're not we know we're going to have advertisement towards us, but we have no idea how invasive it is. And I mean, but you can imagine the day that if so, if you're somebody that is more tactile, you like to touch and feel things, that then they'd rather give you a flyer. But if you're somebody that is a hearer, then they, you need to hear the ad. Boy, imagine the day that they can peg exactly the best way to deliver the ad to you. Um, then you're just going to be bombarded, and it'll feel natural. I mean, yeah. then you'll keep every ad if you're the guy that needs to. If you're a hoarder, then they'll just keep sending you mail. Um, if you're if you're an, if you're a visual person, they'll send you a really great ad. If you're a hearer, they'll make sure you can hear the ad. I mean, it's it really is it's it's amazing, and it, I guess we're naive to think it's not happening.
7: Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. You know, these technologies. You know, there's long been a balance between advertiser and consumer, and and the idea. Well, this has to be a fair fight. You know, maybe I. will I'll go and buy something from that used car salesperson, but I'll know that, you know to not quite trust what's going on here. But now we have all this hidden collection of data about us. And just like you said, it's becoming these very individualized portraits that can be leveraged against us, often without us realizing it. So great examples of, well, one ad for the, the tactile person, one ad for the person who more responds to, to, to sound, to hearing things. Um, also, you know, there's more and more of an ability to just take our temperature emotionally, to know uh. what kind of person we are, what kind of personality type we are um, in general, and then also what kind of personality, we, uh, you know, we're, we're experiencing that day in real time. So something just came out a couple weeks ago is this leaked memo from uh, Facebook executives. And in the memo, they say, hey, you know, we've been surveying, we've been watching the posts of teens and we can tell how they feel these different emotions and picture little quotation marks around each emotion you know i can tell when a teen feels stressed i can tell when a teen feels defeated i can tell when a teen feels overwhelmed i can tell when they feel silly i can wow. tell when they feel like a failure and so you can imagine you know maybe maybe i'm disclosing something too personal here but you know if i have a a time of day where i feel like a failure well, if I get an ad for, you know, Ben and Jerry's you know <laughs> Chunky Monkey exactly. right at that time, I'm more inclined to dig in, right? Targeted. And I, I, yeah. On the other hand, if it's a time where somebody's feeling maybe excited or euphoric, well, maybe that's the time when they're willing to go on that kind of adventure trip or buy that motorcycle or something like that. So, you know, there's this ability to know us on an individual level, and the question is, is it a fair fight anymore? We always have defenses we can use against advertisers, but... But at some point, you know, they're going to have just this tremendous advantage over us.
2: So, so true. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Mark Bartholomew um, about ad creep and his uh, uh, soon-to-be-released book, Ad Creep, The Case Against Modern Marketing. When we come back, we'll continue the journey, the discussion. Figure out what it all means and what happens when it's no longer just a company that's doing this, like uh like Pampers is trying to sell you diapers. What happens when the actual enterprise is an advertising agency that could sell this information to anyone? Then they have all the information on you they'd ever need. Stick with us, ad creep, folks. Scary stuff. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend show helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. We are speaking with Mark Bartholomew, who is a writer, a teacher in the areas of intellectual property and law and technology, with an emphasis on copyright trademarks, advertising regulation and online privacy at the University of Buffalo School of Law. And he's also the author of an upcoming book, Ad Creep, The Case Against Modern Marketing. Mark, thank you again for being with us.
7: Great to be with
2: you. So I sit and imagine a day where um, I go to buy a car. Uh, they ask me my name. They maybe ask me my uh, email address. They can type it into their ad agency's computer, and then the next thing they know is everything I like, how, what my moods are at times of day, every little trigger to know how to sell me a you know, $50,000 car and it, yeah. it's just information is really all this is about is information gathering.
7: Yeah, a- a- absolutely. We we're, we're, we're getting there. I think you know so, more and more people are realizing this, but kind of a common misperception is, oh, well, when I go online, I know that a website tracks me and my information goes to that website, but they don't realize that everywhere I go, the the these different websites, these different social platforms are pooling their information. At least that's happening a lot of the time. And yeah. these companies called data brokers, which are just compiling enormous amounts of information on us. Um, and there's there's a big difference between one website getting a few points of data about you, and and one entity just kind of combining it all into one package. I mean, when you when yeah. you have all these data points, there's just so much they can. They can figure out about you. you the know,
2: pooling uh, is the scary thing, it seems like, because I don't know that I would care how much you know about my child's diaper habits, right? So if I like I'm okay with Pampers gathering a little data on me. But when then Pampers shares it with Walmart, who shares it with Volkswagen, who shares it with every other organization I might ever come in contact with, and it's pooled in databases, that seems to be when it gets scary. Yeah,
7: that's right. That's right. Because we're talking about when it's a fair fight between the advertisers and the consumers. I think it stops being a fair fight when there's just this information asymmetry, and there's so much information they know about us, and we only know so much about about them. Um, you know, and the the law of big numbers just has a tremendous impact. So a lot of what advertisers can figure out now is just based on correlations. It's not some great insight into into how people behave individually. Instead, they just can collect so much data on us and so much data on people in general that they know a few random purchases or a few even random words online. Might not say that, that you know, we want this particular item, but they know in enough other cases it translated to persons buying that item down the road hmm. that they can, they can target that as. Probably the best example is where Target was able to collect information on on people, um, women who had acknowledged they were pregnant, um, but just from a few innocuous purchases, they were able to tell that they were probably pregnant with a very high um, uh, level of certainty. <laughs> and so they pitched them, they pitched, yeah. you know, they gave them ads you know, to that effect, even though they never disclosed this. And just, you know, yeah. this is a particularly glaring example, but it's happening all the time. Guessing at, at what we want, at what our personality types are. Because of big data.
2: Well, in fact, um, there was a purchase where Verizon purchased Yahoo, and I don't know if you heard about all of this, but and Yahoo had issues because they had been hacked. Um, but and Yahoo isn't this like up and coming, growing, booming, company. They've been providing, you know, internet service for years. But apparently what Verizon was really trying to buy wasn't all of the new innovation of Yahoo, but their history of data on millions and millions of people. Verizon wants that data. So it's, it's interesting, the data is becoming really a more valuable commodity than even the services that companies are trying to get as they do buyouts.
7: Absolutely. That's why there's constantly this push to you know, disclose things online to to you know uh, install our app so we can we can track you not only in stores but sometimes as you leave the store that store app will still track where you're going huh. and it's all about building up these these data pools on on people. You're you're right. So a lot of the the value in this this new economy is um, comes from surveillance from the data files does, on people.
2: Does any of it matter, Mark? If if I actually get more of what I want at a cheaper price for a better deal, even when I didn't know I was looking for it, if I get more of what I want, what's the harm in all of this ad creep then?
7: Yeah. So, you know, in some ways it can be a good thing. So if I'm a, you know, a father of four, it's, it, um, it's, it's better that I get ads for minivans than, you know, um, yeah, an online dating service, right? right? Uh-huh. Uh, that, that, that makes sense. But there's some problems with this. Uh, one is is that all this surveillance can lead to discrimination. Some people get different offers, different prices. There can be digital haves and have-nots. And right now, this is really like the Wild West. There's very little supervision of what's going on here. Um, so there's a potential for discrimination, I think. Um, I talked a little bit about how kind of if we have surveillance in one area, it can kind of creep into these other areas that maybe shouldn't be there. You know, the example of the churches or, or yeah. they're snooping on, our, or on pe- our kids. What
2: if people yeah. were looking at things that they their family wouldn't approve of or their spouse wasn't wouldn't approve of then all of a sudden extortion. I mean there's other ways and there are examples of extortion taking place with data.
7: Yeah, yeah, right. And there's been enough breaches that I don't think we should just have blind faith in the ability of these companies to safeguard or information. You know, um, one example from a little while ago is the ride-sharing service Uber was actually looking at people and they could tell, oh, you left your address, your home address on a Friday night, but then you didn't come back that Friday night. Huh. You came back sometime Saturday morning. You know, that's the kind of information that would open up people to to blackmail, to extortion like you're talking yeah. about. So, so, you know, maybe we're getting, you know, ads that appeal to us more and there's a value to that. You know, the, I like ads that are geared to me and not something that's completely not in my area of interest, but there are, you know, there's consequences. There's cost to this this targeting.
2: One of the things that we, we saw a few years ago when they were talking about Google Glasses and is this idea that you'll eventually have a sensor or, or some chip put on you or in you. And everywhere you walk, there will be sensor readers, chip readers that will identify you. And everywhere you go, from getting on a bus to walking in the store to the information you receive on your phone while you're in the store will be very um, specific to you, specific to the, your geo-targeting. I mean, in the way, that's going to become a very ad-invasive world.
7: Yeah, yeah, and we're, we're not there yet, but, you know, as, as these technologies come in and we don't resist more, that might be the, the future. And we talked about neuromarketing and being able to scan consumers to develop ad campaigns. Right now, you can't really do that without someone's awareness. You can't, you know, put them into an MRI reader without them knowing about it. But the technology is getting better, mm. and there's more of a possibility for portable um, types of ways to read the brain. There's there's small and smaller cameras they're installing in stores that can record kind of proxies for how our brains function. So, fung- so micro expressions on our faces yeah. or the ways our eyes lock onto a product when we're moving into a store. Um, and so these technologies, you know, are becoming more and more realizable. And I think Sometimes when I talk to people about this, they say, oh, well, we'll never get there. People will never agree to that. But we already agree <laughs> yeah. with a click of a button to have all this tracking, to have all this information go to these companies. So if we go into our supermarket and they say, well, can you, can you wear this headband? You know, you'll get 15% off your purchase, um, but you know, we'll track how you respond to you know, these shopping oh. choices. as You walk through the store. You no, know, sounds far fetched, but it might be coming before too long. No,
2: I, I I think people will do it in a second to get a fifteen percent off for sure. Um, I'll wear whatever you want me to wear. I'll wear it for a year. <laughs> so, um, what do you think, Mark? How do we protect ourselves from from getting t- sucked in too fast to this? And how do we make sure that the laws can at least keep up with it?
7: Yeah, yeah. So you know, not surprisingly, because I work at a law school and I'm a lawyer, I I see laws having a a role here, and and you know throughout the history of this country, the law has stepped in when you know, uh, legislators or judges have seen something it just seems too invasive, too too creepy. So, for example, there was a scare about subliminal advertising in the 1950s. Um, this guy, during the screening of a movie, slipped in for just you know a, a hundredth of a second the message: um, hungry, eat popcorn; hmm. or thirsty, drink Coca-Cola. And according to him people kind of flocked to the concession stand, you know, sales of popcorn and coke went went way up. And so this triggered um, a scandal and Congress called them to testify. Government agencies got involved. Uh, um, state legislatures drafted up plans to, to ban the practice. You know, they saw this as just completely invasive and unacceptable, particularly in kind of the, the era of the Cold War, where they worried about spies running around. This is this kind of Invasion of consumer free will was not okay, and and steps were taken to stop the practice. So the first thing is we need something like that. I just don't see the same public response. Mm. We need kind of a new consumer movement to protest against these techniques of surveillance and ads kind of entering into these territories where we don't think it should go. The other thing is once we have that, that public will voiced about these things, then lawmakers will be forced to take some steps right now i just don't think that it's on their the radar i think i think instead we see them moving in the opposite direction but once once the public is galvanized and and tries to hold our our lawmakers to account then we can we can do things we can have regulatory authorities like the federal trade commission investigate neuromarketing Um, we can change the rules of contract law so now you know all this is facilitated by the click of a button The thought is well, we know nobody reads the fine print, but once you click on it, there's these rights to not only track us, but to sell that information to third parties. So once people protest enough, we could have a change into the, in the contract law, really making those disclosures about what's going on with our data more front and center, or maybe in some circumstances, even having flat-out rules about, hey, you can't track me this way or you can't advertise um, in this manner. You know, um, in, in other countries... There are there is much more restrictions on when product placement is OK, when it's OK to to advertise to to kids. Um, you know, so maybe if people are upset enough about this, we need some of those hard and fast rules.
2: Well, and I think the, the book idea is a great start because it's starting to open up these conversations. Um, we appreciate your time. Mark Bartholomew, again, from the University at Buffalo School of Law. Mark's got a book coming out, "Ad Creep: The Case Against Modern Marketing." Be looking for it, and folks, open up your minds. I mean, this is there's going to be a day. This is 30 years maybe away, but where it's totally invasive, and um, then you'll then we'll have some regrets if we don't start pushing back a little bit now. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Be back. Stick with us.
3: I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner.
1: Play ball.
2: Play ball. How many times do you just kind of, uh, you know, the old boil a frog in a pot uh, story where if you just kind of slowly increase the temperature of the boiling or the pot till it boils, then the frog doesn't know. If all of a sudden you turn it up, the frog will jump out. Many of us are just a bunch of frogs boiling in a pot, and if, right now it's just the temperature's nice. You know, it's a nice temperature. You just have a little drip of sweat dripping off your little frog lip, and slowly they're going to keep increasing the access, the transparency, technology. Remember, you're in, you're inviting people into your life and in, in in to your information at a at a very high rate. I one thing I like about all of this is it's going to demand a different type of, of being, I believe, either one that becomes insensitive and doesn't care what people think or know about them, or one that that now has to live a very public life. I mean, imagine if all of a sudden you were called to be the president of the United States, and everybody could know everything about you, you would probably live a different standard, or at least hopefully try to, right? So, I think no matter what, we should all be living our lives to the higher standard anyway, you know, a standard where there is a lot of transparency, your children could know everything about you, they could find out anything about you, there aren't things about you that your kids couldn't know. That's a nice standard. The reality is, though, I don't know that you need to let every ad agency in the world have the same data. (laughs) And so be careful, we need to protect. And also, we need to start having these conversations with our friends and our neighbors and start pushing on our legislators a little bit more, I believe, to, to make sure that they are protecting us as well. That's uh, the goal of the show. Again, keep you safe, sound, and uh, happy if we can make that a part of it as well. We'll take a break. We'll continue the journey. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, friends, to the program. Dr. Matt here, and uh, we're taking you on a journey today. Today, we're going to be talking about how to make sure you're not emotionally damaging your spouse. You know, your wife called Terry, and she's what? like, will huh? you
3: do this topic?
2: I don't know why. Hmm. I mean, you're a good guy. Yeah. But-
3: I'm, I'm pulling my
2: weight. We're doing this one for you. Okay. Apparently.
3: I'm emotionally damaging my wife? No, how not to. Oh. Yeah. But she, that would imply that I am.
4: No, she, she, want, she just thinks you're great at not doing that. All right. Well- she just wants to prevent you from ever doing that.
3: Right. Yeah.
4: Hey, by the way, what's this the sound of?
3: It would be a fidget spinner. Uh,
4: sounds like a midlife crisis to me. Yeah. It's my fidget spinner. So they're debunking this myth about fidget spinners now.
3: Eh, some are, some aren't. I've seen competing articles now. Yeah,
2: we keep trying to find a fidget spinner expert.
3: Yeah. Not easy. Per, or a purported one.
2: Yeah, I don't think they exist. Wouldn't we just get like a 12-year-old? Yeah. <laughs> What what I can do. <laughs> my son keeps losing his, and it's because I keep taking it to work. You keep stealing it. Huh? I take my fidget spinner to work. And it, it does – I fidget with it a lot more, but it's kind of in the way a lot of times. And then you forget about it, and then you'd never go back to it.
3: Well, I was talking about with you yesterday. I was on Amazon looking at these because if you look at the top – they do like the top 20 best-selling toys yeah. on Amazon. It's, they're all fidget spinners. Are they really? Yeah. And uh, at least now they are. They're, oh, there's a couple cubes. A couple oh, yeah. of the fidget cubes.
2: Yeah, you've got the cube. I've
3: got the cube out in my car. The uh, So the fidget spinner, so they have these pictures that show you the product. Then there's like a video that shows it spinning. And one of the pictures is a guy, a kid looking over a book. He's got a pencil. So he's studying. Yeah. And in his offhand, he's got the fidget spinner going. So like, how do you keep something spinning and focus on U.S. No, because history? because you need two
2: hands. I mean, you can twist it with your fingers, but it's not the same effect as yeah. just getting that thing going.
3: Yeah, so Mm. we talked about maybe the cube is a better option for when you are studying. Yeah. And that the spinner might just be the toy.
2: It just, I think really anything could become a fidget toy. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, by the time I'm done, I've usually torn apart a paperclip.
3: I watch you do that. I ruin
2: a pen or two. Yeah. I down a few apples.
3: You scribble notes that you'll never reference again.
2: No, it's funny. I take really good (laughs) notes for every guest and then I just throw them in a pile to throw them away.
3: Yeah, and that's your fidget. Actually, I, to
2: recycle, of course.
4: Yes. I liked Fidget better when it was on TV with uh, Sally Field. I loved her in Fidget. Yeah,
2: yeah. You remember she'd always like Fidget.
4: Yeah, that's
2: why they called her Fidget. It's a good show. We used to have a we used to have a show here on BYU Television about Fidget or Gidget, wasn't it? It was Gidget and um, no, the, Digit. Digit. Yeah, the good the good dolphin was it. Versus the I bad,
4: to, I've got to go dig it
2: up. Yeah, I lo- let's I, let's let's look for that because I think just in memory of
4: the fidget toy and named after Fidget Gidget and uh, Digit, the great show with the. I think unfortunately I uh, saved something in its place. So I have to go back. That's all right. That's all right. Well, we'll get to it later. Uh,
2: We got a great show. We're going to be talking about ways not to damage or emotionally damage your spouse because there's just little things we do, like maybe constantly trying to change our spouse, that over time, you're going to damage them. Then you're going to realize they can't change. That's just the way his pancreas is. Hmm. Uh, I got a little personal right there. We'll get to that fun um, in a bit. Also, we're going to be talking about what actually constitutes art. And uh, some some college kids played a little prank at an art studio that nobody noticed. They put something in the display of the art show, and nobody noticed that it was just a joke. So we've got some awesome audio from that, um, just because we're on it. We're on every – we're on it. That's why they call us empty news. Matt Townsend News. Because I always feel like it sounds like empty. So we'll get to all that fun, plus other empty news headlines, like uh, the fancier the car, the more likely the driver is a jerk. It's, you know,
3: hmm. that's
2: why I like to just tone down my cars.
3: I've heard anecdotal evidence of this, just personal experiences. Yeah. Now we have science that backs it up.
2: I heard it was the bigger the truck.
3: Well, there's that, there's that other avenue of research okay. that's happening Good. also. Yeah.
2: So we'll get to all of this exciting stuff ahead. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on?
3: Google announced a host of new products and services at its I.O. conference Wednesday as it brings technology based on machine learning into the marketplace. I.O. Yeah, with uh, Google Lens unveiled during the first day of the annual event for software developers, you can point your phone camera at a restaurant sign and see options to look at the menu or make a reservation or aim it at a flower to find out what kind of flower it is. Wow. It's great for someone like me with allergies, says uh, Google CEO Sundar Pichai. He told the crowd during his keynote speech. Uh, The fact that computers can understand images and videos has profound importance for our core mission. Google announced new offerings across a wide range of services and devices, from management of photos to providing help from virtual assistants and conducting job searches. All deliver value to people, whether they use it on a phone, a laptop, or a virtual assistant device. All have the same goal for Google, though, to gather user data.
2: Thanks, Google.
3: (laughs) So it's all great. Everything's awesome. They're just going to gather your data. But you know what?
2: <laughs> we went to the the play To Kill a Mockingbird last night, and to to have just been able to go to that title and immediately get a bunch of information from Google right. would have been very handy.
4: But do you, you want... You didn't did, know about that story before well, no, you went we to the did, play? We did, and
2: we read about it with our kids, and it was, a, it was an awesome experience.
4: I'm pretty sure it's a requirement for every seventh grader to read that book. Oh, yeah, it is.
3: In other news, it's possible the experts in attendance Tuesday at a cybersecurity conference in the Netherlands didn't know what to make of the 11-year-old boy, Ruben Paul, when the 6th grader from Texas took the stage. But by the end of the presentation, they were tweeting compliments like respect and the future of cybersecurity. Uh, according to this newspaper in the Netherlands, Ruben was at the conference to show that from Terminators to Teddy Bears, anything or any toy can be weaponized. Ruben what? put his money where his mouth was, first hacking into a Bluetooth enabled device of many of the attendees in front of him while he was on stage.
2: This is 11 year old Ruben.
3: Yes, reportedly you know, causing very, you know, they're concerned, very kind of floored by that. He then used one of those devices to control his Wi Fi enabled teddy bear. Bob, turning on its lights and using the recording device in the teddy bear to record audio. Red rum. Ruben Red says ram. the same thing can be done with refer- refrigerators, cars, or anything else connected to the internet. He's starting a nonprofit to inform kids and adults about the dangers of cyber Holy insecurity. Cow. And his father, Ruben, made him realize children are playing with time bombs with toys like this that can record their voice. Yeah. Or maybe someone can listen and, and just, who knows, you don't want someone invading the privacy of your home well, because yeah. they hacked your wi What
2: happens when they, they hack your Wi-Fi and then they turn your toy against you? Exactly. Scary. And by the way, 11-year-old Reuben, what a stud. Yeah, just kind That's of cool. flooring
3: all these people. And finally, Colonel Sanders' nephew apparently revealed the family's secret recipe.
2: <gasps> Sergeant Sanders?
3: No, his name is uh, Joe.
2: Oh, I thought Joe, he was Joe, oh.
3: Joe Lettington.
2: Joe Lettington.
3: He's the nephew of Colonel Sanders. So apparently it was in a family scrapbook that's been passed down for years. And for some reason, he decided to go ahead and release the recipe. Oh, Joe. Do
2: you want to know what it is? Yeah.
3: Okay. So here's the ingredients. You'll need chicken parts of your choice, of course. Pick
2: your parts. Parts of
3: parts. Celery salt, Mm. dry mustard, Mm. white pepper, garlic salt, paprika, ground ginger, basil salt, thyme, oregano, black pepper. That's your ingredients. And then he gives you the whole recipe on how to prepare it. You cast iron pot to fry it up and mix it up and all that. So he gives the entire – did he violate family trust
4: Yeah, Joe's not invited to the reunion. The thing is, though, unless you've got a deep fryer, you're never going to be able to get that skin to stick to the chicken. I've tried. You've tried?
2: Tried. You know what? I don't even care anymore because I can't eat it or I'll die. Thanks. Joe,
3: but that's like one of the most closely oh, guarded secrets in all of yeah. cholesterol-laden fast food.
2: That like that's like you know, you know, Clarence Coca-Cola. Yeah, giving away the classic recipe wasn't their last name.
4: But notice he held back uh, and didn't tell us the secret to the extra crispy recipe. Mm-hmm. I think it's just more flour. Yeah, probably. I. I don't know how he dared to
2: do that. He should
3: not. He won't. better think, not show his face at the reunion. Do you think reunion. there's some family strife and he's oh, yeah. trying to get even with somebody? Yeah, he's ticked
2: because he's not getting any money.
4: Maybe he's like those hackers that says, every day I'm going to release one more ingredient of the KSE secret uh-huh. recipe. There you go. Exactly.
2: Just like they did with the black is the new orange. Yeah, that show. Orange is the new black.
3: There you go. Hmm. I, I figured you'd get it. So there you go. It.
2: That's all good. It's all good. Wow. Okay. Well, good luck to you, Joe. It's too bad you're not in the Sanders family anymore. Yeah, he's been disowned. Disowned and demoted. No longer sergeant. He's a corporal. I
4: don't know if a corporal Private.
2: I think it's more private. private. Yeah. Uh, okay. So somebody left a pineapple at an art show, and then it was mistaken for art. So listen to this. A student from Scotland left a pineapple at an art exhibition as a prank before later discovering that it had been mistaken for art. Ruari Gray, 22, had bought the pineapple as a joke, but discovered the next day that it had been put on a show on the show in a glass display case in the center of the exhibition. At Robert Gordon University. The prank worked so flawlessly that the piece of fruit was apparently on display for six days before it was taken down with the rest of the exhibition. Ruari said that he had bought the pineapple to tease a friend but was stuck with it after the joke fell on deaf ears. We were stuck with this pineapple. We didn't know what to do with it until we saw this empty art display. Our goal was to see how long it would remain there before being removed He said after placing the pineapple on the empty display stand on Thursday, the student returned four days later to find it had been put in a glass display box to keep it fresh, of course. Mm -hmm. We were shocked and in disbelief. We couldn't stop laughing for about 10 minutes. It lasted there until Wednesday evening until the rest of the display was taken down, and it was the last thing that was left. I mean, yeah, then you got – I mean, I'm assuming they're packing up the rest of the display, and the art – I mean, if you're the exhibit owner, you've got to be thinking – where does pineapple come from? It's gorgeous, though. Well, not Squizzie.
4: necessarily. I, I think maybe they don't want to look like they don't understand. Oh, yeah. So they, wanted, they, they found the art in yeah. the pineapple. So we actually have some audio from the pineapple exhibit. Oh, excellent. If you want to hear yeah, it. Yeah, let's hear it. Before we move on to the next part of the exhibition, are there any questions about this important piece entitled simply The Pineapple? Uh, yeah, I got a question. Is that thing real? <laughs> Why, yes, of course it's real, my good man. Oh, You can see what they were trying to do with the top of the pineapple and the glass. And the space between the two represents man's constant struggle to exist in a stifling, oppressive society. Uh, I think some dude just put a pineapple in a glass box. I'm afraid you're wrong, sir. Oh, I just look at the apparent rot... This particular pineapple, or man if you will, is failing to adapt to his constantly changing environment and is almost at the breaking point. Is this tour almost at the breaking point? <laughs> uh, are there any other questions? Uh, yes, sir. Since that pineapple's on its way out, can we eat that thing? Hmm. You don't need art. Right. I mean, it represents man's I constant think, struggle with the oppressiveness of society.
2: Yeah. Is that what I'm, it – really? Apparently. But to me, it represents more of kind of a, the facade that we build, kind of the sharp, pointy exteriors that we put to keep people away. But really on the inside, we've got nothing but juicy yum-yum. And then even further inside, back to kind of a bitter, hardened core. That was beautiful.
4: I agree. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to you need to get rid of that outer layer. Yeah. To really get to what's underneath, which is where the best parts are. No, totally. But the the problem is they yeah people put up that 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 barrier exterior,
2: that exterior barrier that's so sharp and and jagged that many times you can't see through it. In Costa Rica, we learned to take down that exterior and also to take out that inner core mm-hmm. and then to sprinkle lime yeah. juice, a citrus lime but on I, it, on your inner goodness, and it creates a wonderful delicacy.
4: I think it it also represents love, and sometimes when you have too much love – you get like this prickly feeling on your tongue, you know, when you've had – like when you've had too much pineapple, you know. I never had that problem. Hmm. Um, also, just to take the art
2: further, it, it's not just a piece of pineapple or a pineapple. It, it also is something that could – you could add the sweetness like love that is inside of each of us uh, if we dig and, and cut off the, the ex- exterior. And you could place it on – a Canadian bacon pizza and create the perfect mix of savory and sweet. Thus the Canadian bacon pineapple piece of art. And I think we should just end it there.
4: You had me until that last point. Then, then you okay. went too far. You know what maybe we ought to do is instead of looking for any more segments,
2: let's just start doing an art segment because we found art in something as
4: simple as a pineapple. It's beautiful. I'm looking at the shadow on this pen that's sitting on the desk right now. Yeah. Okay. And there's like a wealth of
2: We could talk about shadows there. forever.
4: Yeah.
2: Uh, speaking of shadows, our next guest is going to talk about ways to not create the dark side in the relationship. How to not damage the people you love. Five ways that uh, that could hopefully you could eliminate from your repertoire with your relationship stick with us this is the matt townsend show helping you live longer love stronger lead healthier happier lives Welcome back. You know, in today's day and age, we see the idea of marriage and relationships romanticized everywhere in the social media, in mass media, it's on TV. Uh, however, it seems like we still see an enormously high rate of divorce. The, the research actually, our next guest next hour is talking about the fact that we only have a divorce rate of about 40%. Um, except the, the problem is, if we think marriage is supposed to be a certain way, then we might be negatively impacting our partner, not even knowing it, putting a lot of pressure on them, damaging them in emotionally damaging ways. So here to walk through um, how to not be damaging your spouse, your partner, the person you love is Jesse Shepard. She's back with us. Jessie is the, one of the founders of BlueCloverTherapy.com. Uh, she's a therapist and LCS, uh, L a master's in counseling, LCMHC.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of they change letters. the letters up just to I know. get it. Confusing. I know they're
2: messing with us. <laughs> Jesse, thanks for being back.
0: Thank you for having me. You guys are so wonderful.
2: This is, um, you know, uh, there's we don't want to intentionally damage our partner. Oh, none no. of us start that way. But the problem is, a lot of us are damaged, and so yes. when people are damaged, then they tend to damage others.
0: Yes, and. As we go into a relationship, we tend to put, you know, our best foot forward, but as we get used to the person and we get comfortable with them, that's when all of our baggage comes out, and everybody has baggage. So, yeah, <laughs> every single one of us. Every
2: one of us is carrying something, aren't we?
0: Yes, and so being able to, you know, be able to be emotionally connected with somebody is a big deal. Yeah, And so when we start to move away from that, that's when we start to see problems within the relationship.
2: Is, I mean, I guess too, because we have to kind of grow up and we always think that if you just wait, you'll know who you are, right? So when you're 30, you'll finally know who you are. (laughs) But the reality is I won't know who I am with you. Right. And so it's almost like you have to spend enough time together to allow things to happen And then figure out how to get over them or through them or around them.
0: Yes. You need to fight. You need to have uncomfortable situations happen to you. Have the good ones, obviously, because that's what gets us through everything. But, you know, you need to have experiences with that person for sure and kind of see who they really are.
2: How do you – you came up with five specific ways that you might be emotionally damaging your spouse. Yes. And, I mean, there's probably 50 – But you came up with five. Is it because you see these in your practice?
0: These are very common. Um, And and like you said, there's probably about 50 of them we could go through. But these five have varying degrees and they tend to be pretty consistent within relationships to some degree.
2: Okay. So let's get to the first one. Um, One way that you might be damaging your spouse is not being open and honest.
0: Yeah. So it's stunting that emotional connection. So either you're dismissing their emotions or you're not sharing yours. And so it's usually a combination everybody, you know. Yeah. Expresses a little differently, um, but when you downplay their emotions or downplay your own emotions, you're not really being honest and genuine about the situation. And so, if you are not being completely genuine, how are they to know who you really are mm. and how to truly connect with you? And
2: and how do they? Because if you're not genuine, then you're you're also maybe exaggerating emotion or undervaluing it. So they don't even know who they are because we're always mirroring yes. the other. So. If you always poo-poo emotion because you don't know how to deal with it, you don't know how to be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden I don't know – I'm not getting good feedback from you.
0: Right. So you – I mean – let's say that we're in a relationship and I'm trying to read you and you're being kind of stunted and flat. I'm like, oh, well, maybe this isn't going that well. Is it me? Or,
2: Is it? Yeah. Am maybe I not he reading doesn't him like right? that behavior
0: right. or, oh, he doesn't like this movie. What it, you know? What was I thinking? And so then we modify our behaviors accordingly, mm-hmm. um, which we shouldn't We shouldn't do a ton, but we do a little bit because yeah. we're natural, social human beings. Oh, yeah. Um, and then you start getting way off track. And that's where you get into, like, years down the road, like, you're not the person that I married or you're not the person right. I dated. And it's like, you're right, because you're not getting feedback in the correct way. Mm-hmm. And then you modify your behavior. So and it goes both ways, usually on this where they're like, well, I'm going to you know, be cool and not show emotion, or I'm not going to tell them how much I care about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because maybe they'll leave or, you know, and, we,
2: we hear this a lot with this, uh, with attachment disorders with people that have never learned to feel safe. Yeah. And vulnerable. Yes. I mean, and I, we've even heard statistics that that's going up and more and more millennials supposedly are having more attachment disorder issues than previous generations, I guess, based on how we've been raising them.
0: Well, I I just read an incredible study about um, cell phone use and parenting, and it replicates a lot of the symptoms that um, children of alcoholics have. Is this, like? That's yeah, a common... You don't
2: have a parent that's, a, that's connected into you.
0: Yeah, it, there's, there's less eye contact. There's less interaction in general. Um, the uh, emotion is stunted uh, because we're not paying attention to what's going on. Yeah. Um, so put your phone away. <laughs> put
2: your phone away. And I guess so this could eventually – so let's say that I never – I don't feel safe attaching. Right. Then – or I, I've learned that anytime you're gonna, you're, you may hurt me, I'm just going to withdraw. I'm just going to withdraw. So then that's kind of what you're talking about by not being open and honest with my emotions. If my wife says, what's wrong? And I'm like, nothing, just had a bad day or it's just something at work, but I'm not sharing the fact that you just hurt my feelings right there.
0: Right. And, and she would need to know that Yeah, because that's, I mean, then she can try to not do that in the future Uh and
2: we can learn and we can figure it out. And if we don't do this over time, then. It throws us off, but it also, I guess, it really impacts our ability to create more and more intimacy, more closeness.
0: Absolutely, and 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 that's the thing. That's what you want. You want that intimacy, and you're creating rules for the relationship. Every relationship's different. You know, you should have your fight rules. What, yeah. you know, where you can go when you're fighting. Do not you say
2: this. Do not do this. Yes,
0: yeah. and and because you care about that person, you will respect those rules.
2: And then that makes it safe. Once you have your rules, and we know we'll live our rules, then we're safe. To know that a conflict's not going to ruin our marriage,
0: right? Because con- we're safe in it. And I'm not leaving. Conflict's actually good. Yeah. you're two different people. You were raised two different ways, and so you need to know what it's what you want to do together. And so you will conflict, and being able to get through that makes it so much easier when the little conflicts come up. That's
2: huge. Is, um, and I guess so. This is something you see a lot: are people that just they're not being op- they're not being open. They're not sharing their most vulnerable stuff.
0: Right. And they're trying to push it off onto somebody else. Well, well, if they wouldn't have acted this way, yeah. then I wouldn't have acted this way of like, oh no way.
2: And a lot of times they'll do yeah. that to their spouse. You're the reason I'm mad. I'm not mad because of me not doing something. I'm mad because you just made me mad.
0: Right. And so it's just deflecting.
2: Does um so if if somebody's out there listening and they're thinking, "Oh my heavens, that's me. <laughs> that's totally <laughs> me." What where do they begin to fix that?
0: Well, first you need to be able to identify what you're actually feeling. Like I am, I back in the day was a very closed off individual and to realize my emotions was like, Whoa, Mm. like, wait a minute. I am sad right now. And then sad has 50 different shades of that. And so you need to like, I'm sad, but I'm also kind of frustrated or, you know, and so first being able to identify the actual emotion and then being able to kind of throw yourself out there to people who you trust, um, and be like, Hey, this is how I'm feeling. I know it's irrational or, I, you know, I know that this doesn't make sense, but this is how I'm feeling. And it's OK to have the feelings you're having, even if they rationally don't make sense in that moment. That's
2: good. That's yeah. good. Uh, another uh, thing we, we might do to be damaging our relationships, probably unintentionally, is trying to change the other, I guess.
0: Yeah, this is the, the it's a big one. This is what people come in for counseling. Yeah.
2: Like <laughs> she's always trying to change me. Like, just accept me for who I
0: am. This is, I am who I am. I've always been this way. Right. Yeah. So, uh we are all changing all the time, uh however, another person cannot make us change. We have to find our inner motivation so let's say that um like you know having children is scary and terrifying, and, yeah. and you're not in some people are not natural parent characters right. you know like they they don't know exactly what to do or what to say, maybe they're not as uh, empathetic, that kind of thing um. Just because they don't know how to do it now doesn't mean they can't do it in the future. But that is their motivation. So if, if I, let's say, as a wife, am trying to change my husband to get him to put his laundry, let's say, this is a personal thing, yeah, um, yeah to, <laughs> to put his laundry in the just, laundry basket. put a, it in the hamper. That's Come all on. I want. That's all yeah. I want, right? Um, I, I cannot, the amount of nagging and lecturing, and this is the same in parenting as well. If you're nagging and lecturing, it is not going to be done. Because all of a sudden, you have become that motivator. They want to stop you from lecturing or nagging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that means that if you're not around, they're not going to do what. So true. Yeah, so so you need to find their inner motivation. So, you know, with like children, we talk about like allowances or, you know, special activities, that kind of thing. But with spouses, be like, hey, if, if you put your clothes in the hamper, I will do your laundry.
7: Mm-hmm.
0: But if you don't put it in the hamper, then it's going to sit there until it's ready to go in the hamper. Yeah. And then I'll do it. You know, and having these and then they're like, "Oh, well, I won't. I need this shirt for tomorrow." Yeah, of course you, it's going to go in the right, hamper. exactly. And you're you're modifying behavior that way, but it's their motivation, not you nagging and or attacking.
2: I always have couples that'll say, "Look, I'm not here to raise another child. I'm not. Yeah. So I shouldn't have to try to get my spouse to put their stuff in the hamper." Right. But the reality is they're also ticked off about it. So it's yes. it, you're in a weird position because you don't want to have to parent Right. But you're mad about it. And so if you even if you say, well, just – I mean, can you just accept that this is just what he is?
0: Right. And that's the other side of it. If they don't want to do what you're you're asking, then that's where you're at. Yeah. Then you need to figure out how to cope with your own frustration with yeah. it.
2: And then, but then they're like, well, yeah, but I don't want to spend the rest of my life uh, having to never have this need met. But I guess then you got to evaluate your needs. Is the hamper – the reason you married this person or are there other right. great things they're bringing to the relationship that you're not valuing?
0: Yeah. Is it really that important? Yeah. You know, and, and it, that's evaluating. Is it more important that they mow the lawn or, you know, hang out with the kids or mm-hmm. that kind of thing? Or do you need the clothes in the hamper? Yeah. And a lot of you times
2: know? this gets into big issues like, well, I just I really thought that he'd have a job, too. Like we'd both work. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and yet he's not working. hmm. I mean, this gets really crazy because he might be falling into a depression and he knows he's not good enough for you and you keep wanting him to change. So I guess some of this is just be careful.
0: Yes. And it's having lots of conversations and lots of discussions and being open and honest about it because if you're having an emotion – let's say that you're slipping into a depression and you can't find a job and everything's really rough – You need to be open about that and not be defensive because your partner's there to be your partner, not someone who is, you know, overbearing or,
2: you know. And a lot of times you'll see in the relationship where one partner has, you know, maybe more like an A-type personality where they're so driven, they're so disciplined, they're so able Mm -hmm. and amazingly they married somebody that's seemingly the exact opposite –
0: Right. <laughs> so not
2: driven necessarily.
0: Because we love those opposites, Yeah, it's don't we?
2: such a weird thing. But you did it for a reason. You didn't yeah. – I mean two A-type personalities would be exhausting.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, and that's the thing is, if again, you married them for a reason. So what is that reason? Was it that you were just really infatuated with each other and, you know – then we need to you know, step into that and say, okay, so why are we still in the yeah, marriage? Right. You know? and, and why do you really like that person? Because it comes down to these these kind of deep core things, and you really should be able to identify those. That's
2: so good. We're speaking with Jessie Shepard. She is a counselor and mental health counselor at Blue Clover Therapy in Salt Lake City. Today we're talking about five ways you could be emotionally damaging your spouse. We will take a break. Come back continue the journey helping you be the best spouse you can be. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends. Uh, joining us in studio is Jesse Shepard from BlueCloverTherapy.com. Go check out that website. Wonderful resource for you. And uh, Jesse is walking us through five ways that you could be emotionally damaging your spouse. One way that we've already pretty much covered is the fact that you might not be as emotionally honest and open as you need to be. So you got to make sure you're being open. That Because the openness allows there to be a little risk. Yes. And, and, and really, really, transparency, full disclosure, which fosters trust. Mm-hmm. Also, you've been talking about how we need to get out of the mentality of always trying to change the other.
0: Right. So it doesn't work. <laughs> it's, it's not easy because,
2: you know, if you would just change, just, it's just one thing,
0: just a single thing. You and just everything change this one thing. Right? <laughs> but it's,
2: it is interesting because the minute like my wife starts talking about what I need to change, mm-hmm. what I hear in my wife is my mother. Ooh, yeah. And what I tend to play, then I tend to go to this protocol of just be the petulant child that thinks <laughs> she needs to get off his back. Right. So then it's almost like we turn into a weird, uneven parent child relationship. Oh, yeah. So I really run away. Defiant. Yeah. Yep. I don't know why. I just go there. It's so fun. Um, <laughs> the third one that you were talking about, the way to not damage relationships, is watch out for ignoring the other's efforts or small gestures.
0: Yes. So here's here's where we can in, we get into some stumbling blocks here because when we are dating, it's usually kind of the same thing. It's movie and a dinner yeah. and you hang out. And Tons of like, chemistry. Oh, yeah, and everything's yeah. amazing yeah. and they're just like – they're cute yeah. and all this. And you're, the
2: hamper doesn't matter. The
0: hamper does not matter at that point <laughs> because right. they are just – they're great at conversation. You can talk for hours, right. all of that, right? Yeah. And we, we get infatuated with those pieces. But what it comes down to is everybody loves a little different. And when we're dating, the dates tend to be pretty black and white. We yeah. do kind of the same things with everybody. But then when you start loving somebody, we we give and we receive love in different ways. And so Gary Chapman, like we, yeah, we were talking about off yeah, there, who's amazing the Five
2: Love Languages book. It's one of the best.
0: It is amazing, and you can also do, take a quiz online. Um, if you can't quite get, you know, yeah. your spouse into doing it and be like, so what do you think about this one? Yeah. <laughs> but but you want to know how they feel loved, um, because as as you know, the, the five uh, love languages, we have words of um, evap- um, affirm- affirmation. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I can't talk. Um, physical touch. Receiving gifts. Quality time and acts of service. Mm-hmm. So, for you personally, where is your love language? So,
2: because I do it a little different than Gary, I am what I call a hearer. So I like mm-hmm. to love. I like love to come through my ears. Oh, see, I love that. And through touch. Uh huh. And my wife is more of a seer, so she sees love in her eyes. Mm-hmm. And then she's what I call a sensor. She wants things that are harder to measure, so you kind of measure them with your heart. Uh-huh. My time, my attention, my focus, yes, my energy. All so that quality time. Yeah. So I'm more of a seer or a hearer toucher. She's a seer sensor. She knows I love her when she has my attention.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm the same way. Are you? Yeah, yeah. See, I like to have that quality time yeah. where we have fun. It's not talking about kids or the house yeah. or businesses or any that kind of stuff. It's just like, hey, let's go see a movie. But let's see, the dinner. funny
2: thing is, is if you want my, if you want someone's, your spouse's time and attention, right. but they keep trying to give you touch.
0: Yeah, then it's not. Then working. you're
2: like, come on, is that all you think about?
0: Yeah, it's like, well, and it's like, no, I'm trying to express. Yeah, love I just to love you. you. Hello. And and that's where we start getting into conflict, where it's like, no, I want you to do this or that, or I yeah. want you to buy me stuff. Or, yeah,
2: make okay. me a. That's make not my me thing, gener- but <laughs> yeah. See, but if somebody loves gifts, mm-hmm. and you can tell, like which child, this works with your children too. Which child? I could give a child a headset from Delta Airlines that doesn't fit anything but a Delta airline airplane. <laughs> And he's the happiest guy in the world. Mm -hmm. But if you give something to a non-gift person,
0: Mm -hmm. hmm, whatever.
2: I mean, nice, but.
0: Yeah, it's it's nice, but it doesn't have that same emotional um, tying.
2: So I need to learn what you want, and then I need to be willing to give it. And another thing I've learned is I need to actually see that you're giving. So I need to actually interpret. When my wife makes me a good dinner, Mm -hmm. she's doing that to love me. For me, it's not a love. Love would be, hug me when I come in the door. Mm -hmm. For her, that is her way of loving. So we almost have to interpret and see the good they're trying to do, too.
0: Yes, and acknowledge that. Because naturally, she's going to make you dinner. Because that's her love language. That's the thing that she loves to do, to show you how much she cares about you. And whereas you're like, yeah, thanks, it was good. It was good. Yeah, yeah, let's hug. Yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly.
2: Let's let's talk. (laughs) Let's talk about something. But it's so true. And then we... We start noticing what we're not getting instead of noticing what we are getting.
0: Yes. And if you're fo- focusing on the negative stuff like, well, he didn't buy me flowers or he didn't do this. And, yeah. And then it turns into this blame game because he can't win because even if he does all the things that you're saying that he hasn't done, it's it's yeah. not going to mean anything.
2: See, that's the key is that and the point you're making is we, we've we got to make sure not to ignore their efforts. And we also have to make overt gestures to love our partner out of our comfort zone.
0: Yes, because naturally we're going to want to do something different. Yeah. And so being like, oh, but he really likes it when I do this. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do this. Yeah. And, and you can take – I mean you can take these quizzes. You can go to a therapist. You can you know, talk to other people. Um, but even just having that open honest question or that conversation again with the open and honest yeah. where you're like, okay, the last time I felt loved by you was here. Because sometimes this can get complicated where we're like, well, okay, it was a big date or, you know, that kind of thing. But I was like, no, but when you gave me that note, oh, I just loved that. That
2: showed a lot of effort, a lot of initiative.
0: Yes. Yeah. And so it's pinpointing the exact moment where you felt loved because then you can identify those things for the future. And
2: here's what's cool, too. I'm noticing with my own marriage because I'm not a a seer because I don't – service isn't my way of being loved, but it is my wife's. Mm -hmm. The more I serve her – the more I'm becoming a server,
5: uh-huh. so it's what's amazing <laughs> she's is changing she's you. <laughs> changing
2: you, and it's actually, and I'm and I actually like it, and so and I notice so if then she keeps her game up, I keep my game up. We're actually becoming more whole.
0: Yes, and that change is motivated by you. Yeah, she if she said, okay, I'm going to make sure that he does service type things for me. Yeah, you would rebel against that. Right, don't
2: and, force me. This so yeah. you're saying the motivation is coming. From me. It's coming from inside of me. Yes. I'm changing.
0: Yeah, because you care about her and you want to show her yeah. that you care about her.
2: And I always worry because when we think of this, we always kind of think it's reciprocal, right? Where so I will serve her and then she will then serve me the way I want to be. So really, if I want to be touched more, I better do more dishes. The, the, but I found that's nice sure. if it's reciprocal. Right. But I found that a lot of times in relationships, there's a stage where it's no longer reciprocal. Yeah. Like th- the person dying of Alzheimer's mm-hmm. won't reciprocally give you what you want. So at some point, you have to learn a selfless love
0: yes, somewhere. That unconditional. Yeah.
2: And it's hard. That, that usually is a byproduct of unselfishly loving through the years. Then you can supposedly do it for retirement. Right. The problem <laughs> is most of us, we're so selfish in I'm not going to love you if you don't love me.
0: Which is ridiculous. Yeah. Because it's against my
2: value system. Right. I should love you anyway.
0: Right. Exactly. And if you, I mean, if you do love that person, you love that person.
2: And it doesn't mean we even have to stay together. If I love you and keep serving you and you won't or you can't learn to serve me and love me, it doesn't mean I have to stay with you. But it also doesn't mean I have to turn into a jerk.
0: Yes. Because then you're both in an unhealthy yeah. relationship yeah. and you're making it even more unhealthy. That's right. So just because you're putting your efforts in and maybe they are unable to for whatever reason, um, it doesn't mean that you need to keep hitting your head on a wall. Yeah,
2: that's you know? a great point. Um, another point you bring up about damaging relationships is t- taking the fun out of the relationship. Some people are a wet blanket. <laughs> yeah. They're just a wet <laughs> Damp blanket, and they're not warm. They're not cozy. They're not fun. They're not cuddly. They can take anything fun and make it blah.
0: Right. So know.
2: how do we not let that happen?
0: So, okay, so when you're dating, it's all fun.
2: Oh, it's so there's fun. There's no responsibilities.
0: Yeah. There's no mortgage. There's yeah, nothing life that you easy. have to deal with, right? Um, and then progressively, as we get married and have kids and do the normal adulting type things, um, everything gets harder, And oftentimes we let that affect our relationship. And the things that we really connected with that person when it was no responsibility and fun, we lose that. Yeah. And so that's why it's neat to have like a date night where you do not talk about anything that adulting type stuff. So if you guys are really into Star Wars, like do the Star Wars thing. Go Star Wars it out. do not talk about the mortgage. Do not talk about businesses or homes or children or school or whatever else is going on. Um, You need to be able to reconnect with that person because progressively as we go through life and we're just getting through, we're surviving, which all of us are to a certain degree. There's a lot of adulting that needs to happen and it's oftentimes not super fun. But if we let that go and we don't take the time to connect with our partner, we will grow more apart and we won't feel as connected and they won't be a resource for us when we need it. Yeah. And so take that time. I mean I everybody has like every week we have a date night. And that's not realistic for me right. for my family. Right. But um, you know, if you, even like small moments, like when you get home, maybe sitting down and having a conversation, if that's your love language, or having a note in the car, or, or going you know,
2: shopping to do the groceries yeah. together. I mean, it, anything can be made fun.
0: Oh, absolutely! You just need to be in the right mindset and trying to. Um, move away from all of that stressful stuff and just enjoy that yeah. person. We forget to enjoy that other person and why we care about them and wanted to be with them.
2: And the the benefit of once it's fun, then your your body and your brain start saying, hey, this person's fun. So you a lot of the fun chemistry that's being created there can eventually be attributed to your love, to your relationship. It strengthens your relationship.
0: Oh, my goodness, yes. And that's the thing is is when you feel connected – I mean, it's just all together. You're having more fun. You're more connected. You feel loved. You feel supported. And it goes both ways. And when you're working as a team, like together, when you both feel that way, it's amazing.
2: So cool. So another way, the final way to to make sure you're not damaging relationships is uh, watch out, I guess, for getting lost in the emotion. What do you mean by that?
0: So this is the exact opposite of of like stunting our emotion, it's running with it. And this is like when you get explosive arguments or arguments that don't make sense. Yeah, (laughs) You know, Um, so if you think about it like you're riding a horse and you're on the horse and if you let that horse do whatever it wants, you're letting it go wherever. Right. Right. You're also, in theory, you're letting your emotion go everywhere. Exactly. And that horse will take you all over the place. That emotion will take you to places that are completely irrational, that don't make sense, mm-hmm. and that are very hurtful. Yeah, right. And so we want to back up on that and be like, okay, you want to acknowledge both. And this is dialectic behavioral therapy, where you want to acknowledge both the rational side, whereas like, um, okay, this is not really that big of a deal. <laughs> I don't know why I'm Relax. so upset about this, yeah. but I am still having this emotional reaction. And you can acknowledge both sides and come and come together and just be like, this is how. This is how I'm feeling. I know it's silly. I know that I shouldn't care that you put the dish in the in the wrong place in the dishwasher. Right. But for whatever reason, I'm having an emotional reaction. And that way you're still being open and honest without running with that yeah. anger or frustration like you're ridiculous. You don't know how to load dishwashers things like that because that doesn't get us anywhere. Any no. type of like serious anger where we're attacking each other doesn't take us anywhere at all.
2: It takes you to ugly land.
0: Yeah, and then yeah. and then you hurt each other and then you're sad with each other and you, you miss out on all that fun and all the, the neat stuff. Yep. And so the uh, ratio that we want to strike is four positive for every one negative. And this actually in practice is a lot. Oh, it's a lot. So keep like a running tally even. Like I had a guy who just had his wallet and he just would like mark.
2: (laughs) There's a positive. There's a positive. (laughs) There's a a positive.
0: But then he found that he was very negative.
2: But the data is – I mean that's a substantiated uh, research point that four positives erase a negative. So if you're going to try to – create a positive relationship you really have to overwhelm it it seems like yeah. the positives evaporate faster than the negatives
0: yes we forget about positives we yeah. forget about those sweet notes and the conversations and yeah um, all the dating and fun stuff like that we forget about that when we're in the heat of the moment
2: well and the, part of it is because the heat of the moment that's your lowest self right so when you yeah. when you show me how low you will go mm-hmm. that's uh, that's like disconcerting that's scary like, you're a right. train wreck. Right. <laughs> like, I got to watch out for you. Right. <laughs> but the positives – so that's why we tr- we tr- almost trust the emotional, even if it's negative, yeah. more Oh yeah. than just kind of the fluffy positives. And
0: that's why years later, we remember that mean emotional comment yeah. and not like – other things. Yeah, like, the
2: million other things. Yeah,
0: like oh you bought me flowers. Yeah. Like we we forget about that real quick, yeah. but you, you know,
2: flowers so, are easy, but you told me I was fat. Yeah, exactly. And I was pregnant.
0: And it's over. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was like that is it. <laughs> um and so that's why you want to do that four positive to every negative and really pay attention to what you're saying, how you're saying it because you might come off as kind of rude when really you're just like trying to get to the point. Right.
2: No, exactly. And and emotion, I always there's a great quote that says emotion hijacks meaning. Oh, I love that. So, any yeah. uh, even even positive emotion hijacks what things mean to yep. in a positive light. Negative emotion hijacks it as well. So, the reality is, neutralize the emotion and live your values. Yes, exactly. Be, be more effective that way. Her name's Jesse Shepard. You're not going to want to miss her. Go to her website, BlueCloverTherapy.com. Great insights there. Uh, we've been talking about five ways you could be emotionally damaging your spouse. Thanks again, Jesse.
0: Thank you so much. Appreciate it was great. It.
2: Thank you. We will take a break. Come back to a little Coach's Corner. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the
1: world.
4: What's the matter with you, boy? You too stupid to do what your coach tells you? Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play
2: ball! Welcome back, friends, to the show. Hey, you know, uh, one of the things... As I coach couples and uh, generate s- tools and solutions to help create some movement in our relationships, Jesse brought it up and, and brought it to my mind this idea of, um, I call it holes. Okay. So imagine that you have a bucket, right? And we assume that when we get married, we fall in love, that I'm going to marry somebody with a perfectly healthy bucket, and that bucket's going to be able to hold all the love everything I could ever want is in that bucket. The The problem is what I have found is many of us have some holes, right? We just, our buckets aren't complete. So we end up having a problem in, in one of two ways. Either we have what I call a holding problem. Our bucket doesn't hold the love we need in our relationships. Or sometimes we have a pouring problem where we can't pour the love to others. We can't give it to others. And so Five areas that I have everybody look at. So when they come and talk to me, and we're working through their issues, I usually see a breakdown of some of your ability to have a healthy relationship is one of these five holes: physiological holes, things you know, your body just doesn't work uh, physiologically, your chemistry's off. You might um, have a diagnosis, uh, you know, imagine how uh, multiple sclerosis, for example, could negatively impact your ability to love and to feel loved in a relationship, Alzheimer's, things like that. So some of us have physiological problems. Some of us have psychological problems, just issues from how we were raised, self-esteem issues, um, you know, psychological issues, true, blue, things that need to be dealt with. Some of us have addictions. And by the way, some of our addictions could be, trying to manage our physiological issues or some of our addictions can be trying to handle or medicate some of our psychological issues. But we also have what I call distractions, something else that gets in the way of my ability to love or be loved, or we have just flat out ignorance. I don't know what my problem is. Physiological, psychological, addictions, distractions, or ignorance. When we have these holes in our relationships, we're going to leak out the love. If I don't know what's going on with me, I don't even know I have depression, it's going to create a problem. So we've got to fix the holes. You fix the holes, you fix the love, and you're not going to just go to one specialist to fix the hole. There might be 20. Anyway, great stuff. Check us out. Go to matttownsend.com. Also check out our Facebook page. Stick with us. We'll be back. More exciting stuff next.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at
1: Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
2: Dr. Matt Townsend.
1: Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, my dear friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. We couldn't tell there for a second. (laughs) On the side. Happy National No Dirty Dishes Day. This is the day that gives us all a break from the daily routine. Today, you will not be doing any dishes. Yes, thank you. It's also the day of the paper plate. It's the day we celebrate paper plates, where, which will replace the need to do a dish. Know what I mean? Pretty simple. So much to talk about today. Uh, we, of course, will get to the headlines, some of the latest and greatest headlines. Plus, we're going to be talking about what's happening, a pretty interesting study and research done out of the University of Utah about as we're getting older, we're marrying later, and we're, we've actually reprioritized marriage. It's, it's taking a different place in our world Um, It used to be something, you know, first comes marriage, then comes a baby in a
3: baby carriage. Oh, I've heard that before. They
2: don't always, you know, go in that order. And it might simply be telling us a little bit about the young adult population. But what what else is interesting is what happens 30 years ago and what happened 30 years ago is changing what's happening to our young adults today. For example – when the economy takes a, takes a turn 30-ish years ago and, you know, times were tough, you learned that you better get a good education. So now people are placing education before other things. Weren't people having more babies when times were tough too? People were having more babies when times were tough. People were getting married earlier. They were having their children younger. And as we now have kind of – with the advent of birth control – 30, 40 years ago and the massive marketing 30 or 40 years ago, it changes now expectations about everything. So we're going to get into the impact that all of this has on marriage with a researcher from the University of Utah. We'll talk about that fun stuff. Plus, uh, we teased it last hour, the fancier the car, the more likely the driver's a jerk. Apparently, there is actual data supporting that. We'll get to that. Plus, uh, our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation will be around. Other empty news, of course, as well. Um, and a hero of the day. So much to get to, but first to the headlines with
3: Terry South. Terry, what's going on? States across the country are passing laws to permit the use of autonomous delivery robots statewide, but in San Francisco, a city globally renowned for its tech-savvy residents, local politicians are now considering legislation that would ban the use of this technology citywide. San Francisco Supervisor Norman Yee proposed a new legislation on Wednesday following efforts for his office made earlier this year to look into regulations that would govern the use of autonomous delivery robots. Ye worries that the robots aren't safe, saying that seniors, people with disabilities, and children will not be able to move out, move around uh, and get out of the way quick enough as these machines roll down the city sidewalks at walking speeds.
5: Oh boy. That's but they, true.
3: They come at you like, it's like a motorized ottoman, because oh. inside is the food, right? It's yeah, like a yeah. delivery vehicle.
4: Or a Sean Spicer podium. There you go. It's like it's like a Sean Spicer podium with food in it.
3: So are being all these companies are located in San Francisco, so they're testing them in the streets, and San Francisco's like, no, don't do that. No, we're not doing this. So we'll okay. see what happens. Um, another news Target, Walmart, and Amazon are engaged in a game of shipping tag. Ship, Ship. shipping Ship. tag. Each trying to adjust their free threshold and other shipping strategies at a level that can lure shoppers away from one another. Minneapolis-based Target has the furthest to go as it tries to put itself in better competition with Amazon, the undisputed online leader, and Walmart, which has been buying online startups to beef up its own operations. Target has announced plans to put more money into both its online operation and its store. And saw online sales rise twenty two percent for the first quarter that was down that was a, uh, a slowdown from thirty four percent the fourth quarter yeah. which is Christmas all that shoppers overall less and less willing to wait for their items to arrive figure out a, a shipping strategy that will encourage people to buy more and also drive shoppers to its stores will be key element for target Target quietly raised its free shipping 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 huh? <laughs> shipping <laughs> threshold. Uh, they, it was at $35 If you spent $35 free shipping They've dropped that to 25
2: Interesting
3: Going in the direction of Walmart and Amazon Walmart has lowered its bar from 35 It was $50 yeah. they dropped it to $35 uh, They scrapped a program called Savings Pass That offered free shipping but you had to pay the annual fee
2: Oh yeah, so you it's like their own Amazon
3: Prime, uh-huh. right? And then Amazon, which has reduced the free shipping threshold for its non-Prime members from 49 to 35 following Walmart's move, they've again lowered it to 25. So if you're non-Prime on Amazon, 25 bucks free shipping.
2: But what's cool, I think like Amazon may have an interesting advantage because I could buy a product from like my state. Yeah. And that could be shipped here faster and cheaper because I'm buy so what they ought to do is start start offering you really good discounts if you just buy from your region. Yeah. You know what I mean? So cuz you you know on Amazon on, them, yeah. on Amazon you can go pick your price, pick your whoever you want to buy it from. What if I just said, "Okay, what what would give me the best shipping price and the fastest to me?" Right. I and mean, what bugs me is when I buy something from Utah and it gets here in a week. Hmm. I mean, I could have driven to pick it up.
4: You know what they should do? They should just offer slower shipping so it's less cost to them so it doesn't get there in two days. Wait a minute. It already doesn't do that.
3: (laughs) In other news, the Golden Gate Bridge is beefing up security to prevent others following in the slippery footsteps of two teenagers who climbed the bridge and performed death-defying stunts. In a video posted to YouTube, two 18-year-olds from Wisconsin climbed the suspension cables before doing backflips and somersaults on a walkway. Uh, They also dangled above traffic on the 746-foot-high bridge. Bridge manager uh, Denise Mulligan said the teens could have killed themselves or motorists, and they could have faced trespassing charges. The Golden Gate Bridge is not an amusement park ride, she says. That's a good point. Uh, One of the youths, Peter uh, Team Time, Tea Time, T E A, yeah, Tea Time, tells the Los Angeles Times that he and a friend decided to climb the bridge on a whim at 3 a.m. one morning while visiting San Francisco. Uh, He goes, "We weren't doing anything wrong," he says, adding that he could offer some ideas to officials on how to improve security. Since he broke in and climbed. Unbelievable. The the bridge said – the people that manage the bridge says we have things there to stop terrorism, not hooliganism.
2: Yeah. Which really, teens are the big terror.
3: Yeah. They're all hooligans. Finally, some food news. Yeah. Baseball food. We do that occasionally. The Fresno Grillies of the AAA affiliate to the Houston Astros and and introduced the Chickle.
2: Pardon. Mm-hmm.
3: It's basically a big like dill pickle, mm-hmm. a massive dill pickle, cut in half and filled with uh, shredded chicken barbecue. Oh wow! And they only hmm. they only did it for two nights when they were playing the Nashville Sound, which is another minor league baseball. Boy, if team.
2: they had just deep fried it,
3: you could deep fry it too, and you have like a full heart attack. It's called the chickle. The chickle. You know what? Like I a think chicken pickle chickle.
2: So you know these fidget toys. Maybe if you had a pickle fidget toy that you could like twirl the pickle, it's a fickle,
4: fidgetical. Mm -hmm. Didn't Reagan have something called chickle down economics? Yeah, he did. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Does does that sound interesting? A a pickle filled with shredded chicken, barbecue shredded chicken in a big, huge pickle.
2: But you know, when you think about it, yeah. Does it? Like when you buy a chicken sandwich, they just have a pickle on the top. That's true. So there's something there. I think we're into something. Mm. If they could then deep fry it.
3: Well, deep frying it would make it so nothing would fall out.
2: Yeah. And then that would It'd also be yeah, that would also give you the taste also of a little bit of like fried chicken. Right. Yeah. Okay. But I, it also seems like it would be a huge thing.
3: Yes, it is quite large. It's about the size of a hot dog.
2: A chickle. I'm not sure I want to eat something called a chickle. I think it's something more that you need to have radiated.
3: Mm. You know, maybe lanced or maybe cut off. Round. Yeah,
2: <laughs> you will not believe my chicle that I had to have radiated. <laughs> it's huge, <laughs> huge chicle. Okay, wow, good news. Yeah, we'll bring that up to BYU Sports Nation. I think. I mean, I'd do it. The chickle? Here's the deal.
3: You do it once, right?
2: I don't know if I've told you guys this, but I'm on a. Yeah. I'm on a liquid diet. Right. And I can I think I can eat I can eat fruit. I can eat anything no fat. Wow. So I eat a lot of fruit lately. Yeah. But when I went to buy stuff, I bought a lot of fruit and then I bought, for some odd reason, a jar of pickles. Okay. I don't know why. They're,
3: but, f- they're fat free.
2: But I'm thinking my body was craving brine. Okay. I don't know. But I bought pickles. So to stuff the pickle with some Barbecued chicken? Mm.
3: Some grocery stores will carry pickle juice pops this summer.
2: Oh, that sounds horrible.
3: Yeah. Frozen pickle juice, so you can eat right. like a popsicle. Uh, there's this this tale that um, as you're exerting yourself exercise-wise in the summer, mm-hmm. that yeah. this helps to replace electrolytes yeah. you need really salt. quick.
2: You need the salt. You need the brine.
4: I think also if you say pickle juice three times, uh, it unleashes this horrible – but kind of charming ghoul. Really? Yeah.
2: Do you want to try it? No, it's not. No,
4: it's I, not. I'm, he's a little scary. Yeah, we don't want to go there. Hey, uh, that kind of sounded like him, by the way. Yeah, it did. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> it totally did.
2: Three studies over the last five years show that people driving expensive cars were more likely to cut off other motorists and less likely to stop for pedestrians. It's true. This suggests that the wealthier drivers may reflect adherence to ethical codes geared towards uh, maximizing one's self-interest, often at the expense of others, says psychologist Jeremy Boyd.
3: They don't list what cars would qualify, though. But I would think Volkswagens are in there. What do you think, Jeff? Volkswagens? Maybe
4: like a Lexus? Yeah, yeah. Alexis for sure. Volkswagens. Um, Volkswagens. No, I hear. Wait a minute. I know somebody that has a VW. Yeah. Huh. Biggest mistake of my See, life. See,
3: not necessarily the Jetta, but more of the Passat. Because why would yeah. you buy a Passat?
2: Good question.
3: Especially you know ones that <laughs> are leased.
2: Course. Yeah. Why would you lease a Passat? Uh.
4: I think they think that maybe the laws only apply to the lower class. The the we don't call them lower class. They do. We well, it, that's the nice word that they yeah. use. The, I, un, the unwashed the, masses? The, the, the classless. Yeah.
2: I think a Mercedes would be a higher-end yeah. car that is probably known for...
3: Now, is this perception or is this actual no. behavior?
2: This was a study. Observers studied nearly 800 drivers at around 50 intersections across Southern California.
4: And um, according to this... Well, Southern California is just rife with bad drivers anyway. Really? Yeah.
2: But, oh, really? I thought California had better drivers than Utah.
4: They're all bad drivers, and at least 50% of the cars are uh, Priuses. Yeah, and a Prius.
2: (laughs) But part of what it is is apparently if you buy a nicer car, you you don't buy into all the social norms of community and taking care of each other. Wow. My big deal is if I have enough features on my car, I will drive as fast as I possibly can. If I, if I know – by the way
3: – Yeah, go ahead. There's a breakthrough here.
2: This was really good news. I forever thought I had just purchased a car without heat uh, seat, heaters in the seats.
3: Which everyone needs, yes. You need it because Absolutely. how else are
2: you going to heat up your seat? And <laughs> I just true. found out yesterday that I have heat seaters. Does that change your heaters. viewpoint
3: on the vehicle that you purchased that you had no. such a bad taste in your no. mouth over? No? no. All right.
2: Nope. I mean, it's, it's a makes... great. It's a. Great, it really is a great car. It's just not the car I wanted.
3: Does it make you feel entitled and yes. think lesser of all mankind?
2: Today, no. What makes me feel entitled and think lesser of all mankind is when I'm late to get to the show. Yeah. And Daddy needs to drive fast. Right. But that is one thing my car's got is some wheels.
3: And then you show up here and they're striping the parking lot, and then they tell you that you can't was park funny because places. I know
2: that threw both of you in for a loop because. You couldn't park where you normally park. Yeah, and you're a man of habit and routine. Absolutely,
3: I'm so frustrated this morning.
2: I saw a BYU student out there scraping something on the side of your car.
3: Brilliant. Really? Key? I think a it key was in my mm. car. Mm-hmm.
4: <sighs> so I drive a 2003 Toyota Camry Solara. What Solara. do you think that says about me? Well, it says you're uh, you should be
2: living in Florida in a retirement center. <laughs>
3: hmm. Wow.
2: Also,
4: bad drivers there. Yeah.
3: I think everywhere has bad drivers. They do. Yeah, And everywhere when you live there, you think that the people that live there are the worst drivers.
4: That's right. So Utah has bad drivers and rude drivers. Yeah. I think I mentioned before that I haven't been flipped off as many times as I have until I uh, moved here to Utah. Welcome to Utah. But it's not just Utah, but it's
2: it's I have I have found there's a lot of bad drivers around BYU's community mm. because I think they're from all over the country and they may not know all of the laws and they don't know how to drive in snow.
3: Or they might be entitled or feel entitled mm-hmm. so they don't pay attention yeah. to the laws. I mean these are just – these are all hypotheticals. Mm.
2: We're just supposing. We don't know. But I thought you had data to back yeah, this up. The, that was the one
3: study. The one study. Well, it was, th- they said three. There's yeah, three studies. There are three
2: studies and the reality is I guess the, the moral of the story is don't buy an expensive car. Yeah. If you want to drive like crazy and you don't want anyone to know – why? Buy then, a Honda. You buy a Honda.
3: Buy a Honda.
2: Ah, oh, I miss my Honda.
3: You just put a can on your exhaust so it yeah. sounds really loud and annoys everyone. Totally.
2: Yeah. That's a good party right there. We will take a break when we come back. We're going to be talking about the new uh, research and statistics about young adults and marriage. Interesting stuff coming up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. <laughs> Welcome back, friends. You know, according to a new report by the U.S. Census Bureau, most Americans will eventually marry. Uh, you know, so it's it's in the it's in the works, folks. But uh, while eighty percent of Americans were married by the age of thirty back in nineteen seventy, the same share hasn't tied the knot until the age of forty-five today. So we will marry eighty percent chance. It's just you might do it at a little uh, later age. Than before the report, The Changing Economics and Demographics of Young Adulthood from 1975 to 2016 finds the milestones to adulthood are changing. And who better to help us kind of walk through some of those milestones and how they might be impacting? Our young adults, as well as and their marriage and and life in general, is Dr. Nicholas Wolfinger. He's a family and consumer studies professor at the University of Utah. He joins us now to give us some uh, insight into this new pattern. Uh, Dr. Wolfinger, thank you so much for your time.
6: Well, thank you for having me.
2: Great to have you back. Now, talk to us about Nicholas uh, the the data. I mean, so uh, adolescents' lives are changing. I mean, and I guess in some pretty dramatic ways. But uh, what's the research showing, where are they being impacted, and how are adolescents or, and young adults, sorry, I guess, young adults, seeing and, and, and behaving differently than those of previous generations?
6: Well, first of all, it's important to consider that these are changes that are decades in the making. Uh, we go back to the 1960s, and we saw the beginnings of sweeping cultural changes. Uh, finally, with the introduction of the birth control pill, there was reliable contraception. And that started the process of separating sex from marriage. It used to be in the old days that uh, a lot of sex occurred in, inside marriage. And if a woman became pregnant outside of marriage, the man was encouraged to, and I quote, do the right thing <laughs> right. by her and marry her. Right. If not, there would be a shotgun wedding <laughs> at the point of the, uh, the bridegroom's uh, father. True. Uh, so sex became detached from marriage starting in the 60s, and just as the birth control was introduced, so attitudes started to change, and Americans became increasingly accepting of sex outside of marriage. Um, so that was one thing that was happening. Uh, at the same time, starting in the 60s, there was just an increasing uh, emphasis on individual satisfaction that we deserve to be happy, that it was okay for us to uh, have be sexually satisfied outside of marriage. And so that this had the, the effect of delaying marriage. Now, there are also economic changes. Uh, Starting in 1973, real wages started falling for everybody but the college educated. And uh, both of these developments are things that led people to delay marriage.
2: Because I guess they're now focused on uh, getting a career, getting their schooling done uh they can they can be sexually active you know not even in a marriage necessarily they could cohabitate so this has created exactly the changes
6: huh exactly right so uh people felt greater freedom to be sexually active before marriage and in so far as the economic changes went uh with wages falling men had like they had to wait longer to get married because they just didn't feel like they could afford it. Hmm. Marriage suggests that, you know, has the promise that the man will be able to provide for his family, and he had to increasingly have more work experience to do so just because his wages were falling.
2: Hmm. Interesting. It really is interesting because you you can see all of that happening, and now we see the numbers... They're they're playing out. It just almost absolutely cause effect, right? You'd almost see that if I can't provide for my family, wages are dropping. Then you know I may as well wait. What's the hurry? We're already having sex, and we could cohabitate, and exactly pretty much be married.
6: Increasingly acceptable too. Hmm. So the whole definition of marriage and how it fits into our lives had changed. Back in the early 1960s, the normal state of affairs was that you married soon after you completed your schooling. Whether that was high school or college, you got married and you started a family. Now marriage is something we do later on. We see it as a capstone in the language of John Hopkins University uh, sociologist Andrew huh. Uh we get married when we feel like um, all our ducks are in a row, and marriage, marriage is the finishing touch, right? It's not something we do along the way, it's what we do to signify that we've arrived in the world and that we've, we're stable in our careers and our lives.
2: Interesting. So then that bears out uh, on some of the data, so one of the data points, I guess, is eighty percent chance that you'll still get married, which is yes. virtually the same number, you know, fifteen or twenty years ago or thirty years ago. But now it's at the, but it's by the age of forty-five, not thirty. Right.
6: So it, it's a little lower. Uh, I mean, the overall chances of marrying in your life are a little lower. Um, probably at its peak. 95 uh, percent of Americans got married. Now we're down to a little above 80. So marriage is still something most Americans want to do. Hmm. Uh, people speak positively of marriage. Uh, they look forward to it. They just do it later.
2: And I guess they do it. Uh, maybe more important than marriage is actually education, getting that degree.
6: Well, I bet, you know, that's a much bigger subject. But yes, increasingly it takes a college degree to be to, to be successful, it used to be sixty year, you know fifty years ago you could get out of high school and get a good industrial job, uh, maybe at one of the big auto companies say, and you would have enough money to pay for a house, a car, and have a stay at home wife and that's no longer the case
2: hmm. yeah and then do, do you notice anything with dual incomes because too, as part of this you know, women are getting more and more education than over the last 30, 40 years, and dual incomes. Uh, you would, you know, you'd think they'd feel more stable more quickly with the dual income.
6: That is indeed the case. Um, now, women get um, more, far more of the college degrees than men do. Right. So, when male wages started falling in the nineteen seventies, women increasingly had to work. Um, now, certainly. Some of them worked because of the revolution in women's rights, and they now felt empowered to have their own careers, but for most, it was necessity. Male wages weren't cut again anymore, and they needed to supplant those wages uh, with two working spouses. So, in you know, I think it's around 40% of the households the women are the, make just as much as the men, if not more. Yeah.
2: No, it's fascinating stuff. Let's do this, Nicholas. Let's take a break, come back, and and get into it a little deeper and find out what it all means kind of going forward. Uh, We're speaking again with Dr. Nicholas Wolfinger. He is a professor uh, of family and consumer studies and adjunct professor of sociology at the University of Utah, Uh, also an avid writer and has written many articles in the Atlantic, Huffington Post, he's everywhere. And uh, today we're honored to have him talking to us about Uh, basically what's happening to our young adults and some of the interesting research about uh, delaying marriage and, and where marriage is placed in the priorities of life. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. Today we are talking about really the the numbers, the U.S. Census Bureau, and some of uh, the the research that can come out of studying what's really going on—the changing economics and demographics of young adults from 1975 to 2016. Helping us walk through it is Dr. Nicholas Wolfinger. He's a family and consumer studies professor at the University of Utah, as well as an associate professor of sociology at the University of Utah. And uh, Dr. Wolfinger, thank you again for your time.
6: Thank you for having me.
2: So when we look at this, these numbers, uh, what we're seeing is uh, about 80 percent of these young adults will get married by the time they're 45. Um and they're also more likely to get education before marriage they're more likely are they more likely to cohabitate before marrying today as absolutely. well absolutely.
6: absolutely. Over half of young people will now live together and will live together before they get married.
2: What does all of this mean for marriage does Do they tend to have a a lower divorce rate? Do we know those numbers yet
6: We do. I mean, this always comes as a surprise surprise to people, but the divorce rate has been declining in the United States since about 1980. That's when it reached its peak, and that's when we started hearing that one out of every two marriages will end in divorce figure. But it's closer to 40% now.
2: 40%. So 60% of marriages work, stay together, 40% divorce rate, and... Um, But it's interesting, too, do you see any trends happening today that you could foresee impacting us the way these earlier trends of birth control, kind of the individual lifestyle, desire for a better individual life, wages? Do you see any trends today that you could foresee might impact us down the road?
6: It's extraordinarily hard to predict the future. And there's a social science has a long and sorry tracker here. (laughs) No one could even anticipate that Donald Trump would be president. Right.
2: Who would have thunk it? Right. Right. Yeah. Is when you look at it, um, does it do you sense that as you you were talking about in the last break before the last break, that this is kind of the capstone now event of life. Marriage is the capstone. After we have our education, we kind of are making an income. Uh, We've done some test or trial like, you know, marriages or living together, living arrangements. Um, is there? Do you sense the marriages are stronger? Are they better prepared? As people are delaying to marry, do you do you see
6: that in the data? Well, for the most part, yes. That's one of the reasons the divorce rate has declined. Is we're simply waiting longer. Um, marriage, if you marriages, teenage marriages, for example, have a very high divorce rate. And then as you move to your twenties, the older you are, the less likely you are to get divorced. And so the divorce rate is lowest for people between approximately between the ages of 28 to 32. Yeah. When you're young, you're immature, you're changing fast. Um, Both people just aren't ready to tie it not at that point.
2: Interesting. Is there a difference in those that seek uh, college education in merit and, and get married versus those that don't? Does, does one group yes. have a different divorce rate?
6: Yes, um, absolutely. Uh, people today who have a college education are much more likely to be married in the first place and uh, less likely to get divorced. Hmm. So there's a big social class. Divide in marriage now. Uh, last time I looked at the data, if you have a uh, do not have a four year college degree, you're only thirty percent likely to be married, currently married. But fifty nine percent of people with four year college degrees are currently married. Interesting. It's what
2: do you difference. attribute that to?
6: Oh, well, first of all, uh, I point out that this is a new development that there's a social class gap in marriage in yeah. the first place. Uh, you go back to 1970 and people with and without college degrees, uh, married and divorced at pretty similar rates. And uh, again, I point to the fact I point most importantly to the income gap. A high school degree was good enough to provide a reasonable living in 1970. It's no longer the case. It's hard to have – marriage still seems desirable to most Americans. It just doesn't seem affordable. It just seems out of reach.
2: Interesting. There really is an economic
6: gap. The economics are a big story. It's not the whole story, but it's a big story.
2: And yet yet, um, you'd you'd make maybe double the income, right? And you'd have double the support. It seems like marriage would be pro-economic. It would be good for growth.
6: Either the way it is, right? Now, if you're if you're already poor, if you're already working a minimum wage job, it means your spouse is probably gonna get the same amount of money, and so it's, you know, twice nothing is still nothing. If your income sure. is really low, a spousal income will help a little bit, but it isn't enough to lift you out of poverty. However, you know, it is, as you rise up the income scale, Marriage is going to make a big difference. That spousal income will make a big difference. And so that social class gap in marriage further exacerbates economic inequality. It's
2: so interesting, isn't it? Because it really is. And two, there's these weird expectations of what it costs to get married, how it has yeah. to look. You, the dress has got to be. I mean, it's, it almost has to blow certain social classes away to even think of it.
6: It does. It does. Ten years ago, the last time I saw data on this subject, uh, the average wedding cost $27,000.
2: Ten years ago? Holy yeah, ten cow. years How?
6: And that's an, ab- that's an average. So that's brought up by people who have, um, you know, the super rich people, who yeah. have really big-ticket weddings, but that's still a- was an eye-popping figure. Totally. But so many people who don't have the money, who don't have college degrees, think that's not affordable. I can't have the wedding I want.
2: Does it matter? I mean, no,
6: I'm just not going to get married.
2: I mean, I know there is some research about because there's also a commitment level that's a little different once you're married. There's obligations that's contractual. It it almost marriage keeps you in marriage, versus not being married may not keep you in the relationship as tight. Yeah,
6: so definitely, uh, marriages. Um, much more likely to stay together than just live in relationships outside of marriage. Yeah, when people don't aren't married and they live together, most of those relationships don't last a long time. Now, ma- many of them will end in, end in marriage, but those people will get married pretty quickly. Did any of these numbers surprise Anybody? you? Oh, let me play out one thing, and yeah, go ahead. Um, this is being got broadcast in Utah. Utah is is different uh, than the national average. In Utah, we're more likely to be married and less likely to be divorced. We also marry several years earlier than yeah. the national median. So you know, marriage is doing better in Utah than doing in many other places.
2: It's interesting. I'm assuming that's just again because of more of the religious. Uh, yes. Kind of impact of and belief system and culture.
6: Yes. So my last book um, called Soulmates is all about men, um, religion and marriage and
8: divorce.
2: Yeah. In fact, and I think we've so done good. we've done a show with you. I think on that topic.
8: Oh yes. yes. Yeah,
2: that was beautiful. And really, it's interesting research about yes. the impact. I mean, it is a cultural thing, and now we're finding out it's also a social class thing.
6: Uh, religion, you mean?
2: No, marriage. Right. Uh, marriage, oh, it's yeah, a social yeah. class issue, yes. and it's a religious issue. So how, boy, what pressure would you feel in a religious culture if you were a lower social class that couldn't afford or didn't think you could afford marriage? That's got to create some major
6: pressure. I'm, and social class works in favor this entire story. In America now, you're more likely to attend religious services regularly if you are a four-year college graduate. Really? Which
2: again seems counterintuitive, right? Because you'd think that they wouldn't see a need for religion or God. But so, if you're you're more likely to attend a religious institution if you
6: have a college degree, that didn't used to be the case. That's a new story. Yeah, but that's just part of the broader trend of inequality in America, where people who are married are just better, you know, more involved in community groups. um, You know, just have greater civic participation. Um, Where people who aren't married are just more removed. Yeah, and so going to church regularly, several times a month or more, makes it more likely that you're married. And if you are married, you're less likely to get divorced. Let me point out how it doesn't seem to matter what church you go to, Hmm. as long as you go regularly. Yeah,
2: so it's really uh, all religious denominations would have a higher likelihood of being married. Yes. Yeah.
6: Yes, and um, and so just regular involvement seems to be the important part.
2: Hmm. Is there any other institution other than religion that that affects the numbers like that?
6: Oh, that's an interesting question, and um, uh, I won't say that there aren't, um, but just religion is the most common method of of of, of Community involvement in America—the yeah. most common way, you know—to to have a regular group of people that um, you know advocates for good behavior. And, yeah. Like, so it doesn't have to be religion. That's just its most common expression in America.
2: Well, it's fascinating, and I really think too, it's amazing that you just think about the religious values behind it—the tie to marriage. We go to a pastor to to help perform the ceremony or a, a priest to perform the ceremony. Interesting stuff. Well, Nicholas Wolfinger, thank you so much. Again, professor of family and consumer studies an adjunct professor of sociology at the University of Utah. Also, you can go um, look up his books. He's, he's got some some uh, some great work out there as well. Boy, there's a lot happening and you don't even notice it. Just simple changes from birth control to kind of individualism Wages, you know, stagnant economies over 20, 30 years, major impact down the road. Things happen, folks, without even paying attention. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. Let's take a little uh, journey down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show in just 12 minutes from now.
8: Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hello. I think you got me sick.
2: Are you sick? Do you have a cold?
8: Well, I have a sore throat. It's not really anything else but, like, just some sinus stuff and a sore throat. But I'm pretty sure it's your fault, Matt.
2: Sounds like a kissing disease. (laughs)
1: Uh. Excuse
2: me. You I, I am a doctor.
1: Well, I should blame my wife. Yeah, okay. I hope. Hey, um, you set that up differently, though.
2: Yeah, I because I it can't be me. I can't. I didn't. I don't have that sickness. Is it radiating to your pancreas? Uh,
8: I, I have not received the MRI information to uh, confirm or deny that. You
2: know so. what? Come on up. We'll check you out after the show, <laughs> uh, and I, we'll do that. We'll do that mole check you've been looking for too. <laughs> Anywho, hey, I've got some uh, interesting study news that I need your help with. Okay. Because sometimes you'll read a study that you don't like because it goes contrary to what you believe. And I found one, but I, so I need your help because um, I, I know you guys would be really good with this. Um, the study is about swearing. And apparently—
8: See Jerem, please. Okay, yeah. A- uh, what?
2: Apparently when you swear, it makes you stronger.
1: Swearing makes you stronger. Yeah, nah, Those the words.
2: Yeah, and um, it's, so it's not recommended. Right? It's but I learned you're not supposed to swear. It's not good to swear. Yeah, but they're saying it helps you if you're in a, if you're doing a workout it and you you need to push through those last few sets or whatever the the idea is swearing actually helps because it gives it has an analgesic benefit so it takes away pain but it also increases your aggressive emotions and it gives you an extra dose of like chemistry
8: can't you just do that with like grunts or other angry words that like, are words flip flip
2: <laughs> yeah i i don't know that's what i need your help with so, son
1: of a
8: beasting
1: <laughs> There are all kinds of substitutes.
2: So, what do you? So, what do you guys use instead of swearing? Because I know you are two people that would never swear.
8: We just yell. What do you yell, mommy? Well, I, I don't know.
2: I yell that when I'm trying to lift a heavy bar,
8: <laughs> mommy. <laughs> but it that doesn't, probably seem, doesn't. work out too well. Yeah, for you. it does.
2: Everyone looks at me like that guy's weird. That guy's really Nothing. weird.
8: They're looking at you that way for a lot of other reasons too.
2: That's so true. It's cuz I'm wearing the the spandex. it's the headband, the leg warmers.
8: the whole deal. The whole deal.
2: Okay, so you don't have anything else I should yell but just yell. Nothing. Whatever
8: you feel is trying to is, think.
1: Cuz
2: you guys are ripped and I know you don't you don't get a body you know, like Jason that.
1: Shepherd's not here, right?
2: I know. You you don't get a body like that without working out. I'm just wondering how you push through the hard sets, you know. You just, I've I never what done Jason
8: it. Never Brian would say to this. I know. Like, their answers would be totally different and, <laughs> and totally relevant. <laughs> they
2: totally would. Okay, you know what? Let's, we'll just catch them when they're on. Yeah. But I don't want to ask Brian, because I, I don't know where that'll go.
8: Well, Brian would probably say something like, curls get the girls, or something like that.
1: Like, <laughs> yes, yeah. he would. He totally Come would. to Brigham, go to a bowl game.
2: Okay, so let me give you another topic that maybe you guys, I definitely know you'll know more about. Have you heard of the chickle?
1: I you know, did because I, you just told me. I've in the heard hallway. of I chicklets.
2: Did. No, chickle. A chickle is a chicken barbecue sandwich that is made in a pickle. So you cut the bar the pickle open, you stuff it with barbecue chicken, and then they serve it at a ball game. Is that a is is that a go for the chickle or a no for the chickle?
8: That's a no for the chickle from me. You
2: you do go. not you don't like chickles. Is
8: it a dill pickle?
2: It's a dill pickle.
8: I'm in. <clears throat> I'll try it.
2: You could you could gut it out a little bit so it's so it's not you know an enormous dill moment. You know.
8: Yeah, I, yeah, I just
2: What if I deep fried it? Would that make it easier maybe, for you to go for the chickle?
8: Yeah. That would put me on borderline chickle status.
2: Okay. Okay. So uh we are yes for the chickle deep fried uh borderline. Borderline. <laughs> By the yeah. way, if you want if you want a <laughs> chickle for the border then we just add a little taco sauce. Yeah,
1: that's a different kind of chickle.
2: A, ch- a chalupicle. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Those are the best. Okay, good. So that's chilupacle <laughs>
2: And then you freeze it. So then it's like really good. Okay, that's good. Um, so yes on no no on swearing. Find some other way. And yes on both. Uh, and then almost on the chilupacle Okay. That was easy. That
8: pretty much covers everything, right? Okay,
2: one more thing I've got to ask you is spinners. Okay. The, you know those fidget things, the fidget toys?
8: Wait, spinners as in the fidget toys or the Not, actual, like, car no, rims? No,
2: no, no, I should say the, the fidget toys. Okay. Yeah. Car rims are cool. Those I love your spinners, by the way. Oh, my goodness.
8: Who, spinners who, that were popular for exactly one year in 2003. Yeah,
2: but the fact that you still have them on your car, amazing. <laughs> that is what's amazing. And that yours are, like, yours are wise, spinning wise. It's amazing. Um, I like it because when you stop, it still looks like you're driving. <laughs> it really does. So, um, are you guys? Do you believe that a spinner toy would actually help you fidget and be more effective?
8: I don't know. You tell me, Doc.
2: We've been fidgeting, and I have a spinner toy over here, but it actually makes me less effective. I
8: was going to say, mm. uh, yeah. I do not think that would make a person like you more effective.
2: Yes, it would. It's
1: hard to make you more effective.
2: That's a great point.
1: That's
8: a compliment and a weird.
1: That's a
2: backhanded, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that I and I, I'm putting this out there because I want to know if you guys, if you think you'd buy it. If I, if I got a pickle that you could spin, and we called it a fidgetle,
8: would you guys buy it?
1: No, okay. yes, because See? I have a friend who sells these for cheap, he would just give me one,
8: well, he asked if you would buy it so I,
1: no, you're right, no, I would just get it from my friend
2: <laughs> if you were if you were going to buy it, how much would you pay for a figical a dollar a dollar yeah. okay
1: well ninety nine cents plus. Tax.
2: What if it was stuffed with chicken
8: nope. No. Then I'm <laughs> off. Then I'm that out. Is not I'm out. Ah, it sounds like a off. perfect item for the 99 cent store.
2: Yeah, not yeah, yeah.
1: FDA approved.
2: Okay, yeah, that's good. Sure. All right, well, let's get to your show. Um, what's okay, coming yeah. up on your show?
8: Yeah, yeah, because uh sponsored physical, by we're not physical to make the cut today. Right. Uh, how about this? The legacy of Eric Mika. How will you remember one of the greatest BYU big men? I will
5: remember you.
8: Yep. Just like that. Do, 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 do. We. Have uh, a montage oh, where we get Sarah That's weird. and a remembrance video. Oh, Specifically neat. designed for Eric Mika.
1: Does it
2: have that? The harmony of Sarah McLaughlin?
8: <laughs>
1: no rights.
2: Okay. Good.
1: <laughs> Tears that, will be shed.
2: That'll be good. Okay, yeah. so a little Mika memory. Memem- you know. Uh
1: huh.
8: Me- yep, Mika memory lane. Okay, Mika memory lane. Nice. Maybe Sweet. I should do that as my topic header today. Yeah, I would do that for sure. Do it. That's solid. Uh, also, we have one of the guys hoping to replace some of Eric Mika's production, Dalton Nixon. He is back after his mission trip to <laughs> Boston, Massachusetts. Talk about what he wants oh, to do. Oh, two, one,
2: three, four.
1: He was in my
8: sister's ward in
1: this oh, area. Oh,
2: cool. Yeah. That's the skills. So you, you guys can talk about that.
1: bat yeah, Batcats, the baseball team, if they win tonight, they win their first outright conference title since 01. How? At cool. Gonzaga. Oh, Softball in big. the NCAA tournament live on BYU Radio. Yep. yep. This afternoon. Sweet. At 6 Eastern Time. Six Eastern what is this evening. Spencer Linton on the call. Mm, that'll Gary be good. Shiite. Who? Mm-hmm. Shady. Yeah. Who? Well, yeah. Shady. He's shady. Shady. He's a little shady. <laughs>
2: <laughs> is how, about, how is Spencer going to make the call with a voice that is so?
1: Spencer, no. Spencer's a gamer. Like, he's a gamer. Make it work. Like, like, That's right. Six, make six it seconds work. left on the clock. Who's got totally. the ball? Spencer. Yeah. Make ball. it work.
2: Totally. Okay. Well, I'll let you guys go. Get ready, and you can save Spencer's voice. <sighs> Best of luck to Spencer. Try a fidgeticle. It's a fidget toy and a pickle with barbecue inside. Barbecue chicken inside.
4: Mmm, mm,
2: that sounds delicious. gross? Pardon? <laughs> Nothing. I thought you liked the idea. No. Okay. Uh, Flintstones. Apparently, a 75-year-old Ontario woman has a prehistoric bone to pick with two of Bedrock's most famous residents. Documents show fictional characters Fred Flintstone and his daughter Pebbles have taken out a very real lien against a Perth, Ontario woman's van. The woman named Maureen learned of the bizarre situation nine months ago when the liens prevented her from selling her van to a car dealership. The sale cannot go through until the cartoon characters cancel the lien. And the government steps in. The problem has turned into a complicated legal battle for Maureen. And, uh, you know, it's, it's getting ugly. It's getting really ugly. Who to thunk? You can't – you're not allowed to sell this. The answer – this is what they they got from a local representative. The answer that we got back from everybody was that Maureen had to go to court, had to engage the services of a lawyer to fix up what was so obviously and so clearly a total muck-up, Hillier said. This is just Looney Tunes, Hillier added. I mean, it really doesn't make sense. Why on earth can she not just sell her Looney Tunes car? Well, because apparently there's some proprietary imaging and some proprietary information on the car. You can't just go sell a Flintstones car. It's creating problems. Ah, oh, this brings back memories. Digga, 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 digga.
4: Yabba dabba do. That wasn't very good. That was good. Oh, you sounded just like pebbles. Hmm. Is that what we're going for? Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay. Let's go
2: with that. Hey, as you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story. Our hero of the day is a bus driver managed to stop a coach full of football or soccer fans despite suffering a heart attack behind the wheel Stephen Smith, 47, was taking 49 Dunfermline Town, which is in Scotland, supporters to a match when he took ill he experienced chest pains and steered the charter bus into a wall on the highway. Kenny Murray, a team physician for Dunfermline Athletic the soccer team, was traveling a few minutes behind the team van and sprang into action to help keep Stephen alive. He stayed by his side for an hour and used a defibrillator and oxygen equipment until the ambulance arrived at the scene and Stephen was taken to the hospital. Stephen was released from the hospital a few days later and praised for his heroics. He said, I remember putting the brake on and starting to turn left. Before the bus stopped, I blacked out. I felt fine all day. I've never had any problems with my heart or anything before, so it was pretty scary. I knew something was happening, uh, and I needed to do something. So a guy's having a heart attack, and he steers the bus into the wall to slow it down and, and stops it. Otherwise, who knows what could have happened. Imagine rolling a van, a bus full of 50 soccer fans. So he's the hero of the day. Stephen Smith is his name. We hope he uh, continues to improve in his health. That's the show, my friends. We'll be back again tomorrow to help you get a leg up in life. Until then, check us out on iTunes, on Stitcher, on TuneIn. Look us up at byuradio.org. We'll talk again tomorrow. Take care.